you people you're bad guys it's what we do nothing really matters to me back to the bin saying something but i can't hear him you can't hear paul can you hear me apparently scott, can you hear me scott scotty can you hear me why am i not hearing anything you suck hello <laughs> he's like lionel richie hello is it me you're looking for this is weird i got nothing I got nothing. I got nowhere second, else guys. to go. Hang on just a second, guys. I'm going to duck out and come right back. You still there, Bill? Mm, yeah, I'm eating. Yeah, I know. You're trying to swallow. I'm finishing my chicken. As long as you're doing this, I'm going to go get some iced tea. I'll be uh, right I got back. nothing to drink. Fuck. I need something to drink, so I'll be right back. Oh, okay. Making love out of nothing at all. Making love out of nothing at all. Make love out of nothing at all. Making love. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? I can see it in your eyes. 
Me, me, me. Oh, God, that was almost puke. Oh. <gasps> All by myself. I don't want to be all by myself anymore. Paul and Scott, they both went away. And I can't think of a line. I hear footsteps. Voices. I hear voices. I hear dogs. I get fudge. <laughs> Am I still sounding low? Nah, no, you sound all right now. <sighs> all right, I'm ready. You know what that, that I got fudge was from? You remember that? I know I've heard it, but I couldn't tell you what it's from. I got fudge. Andrew Dice Clay, I think he's trying to like, attract fat chicks. Oh, yeah, okay. I told you about Andrew Dice Clay, right? Uh, I don't know. Never what, saw, you know? Never saw him once in person, but when I grew up in Brooklyn, he actually lived right around the corner from me. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I got his first album when it came out, but back when I was in the Navy. Laugh our ass off. Hello. Okay, I got you, Abe. That's all you really need. You're good. Excel love won't pay the rent. <laughs> hey. And we got Dr. Vinny. money oh, it's bad. Bad. That was a terrible sunny. That was <laughs> sunny. Sunny, I, sunny I thought, was a terrible sunny. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thought, just thinking that, actually. I thought you were doing <laughs> Tina Turner. <laughs> I hate that bitch. Oh, my God, I hate her. Who, Cher or Tina Turner? No, Tina Turner. God. My you, you love Cher, private right? dancer. Shut up. Dancer for money. Shut up. Come on, you tell me you couldn't sing Half Breed in the same song and just have it be Cher. Half Breed? What song is that? Is that? No. I'm thinking Half of, Breed. What's the one that something something Gypsies and Thieves or That's something? Gypsies, where, Tramps, and Thieves. Is that the song? No, different song. But it's also a, a Cher song. song. Right? Never night someone would come around and put their money down. Oh, is that the song? That's Gypsies, Champs, and Thieves. Yeah, that's the song I was thinking of. What's the song you're talking about? Half Breed. Let's see if we can find it. That's all right. That's all right. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. Now we need to. I like, though. I liked, well, I liked the one you were talking about. I got you, babe. I always liked that. They always close the show out with that. And, uh, God, what was the other one? Um, shit. I just saw it quoted in a book I was reading the other day, too. Watch out for that tree. <laughs> George, no. George, George. No. What was the other, other big hit they had? Uh, sunny, 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 Bono. Watch out for that tree. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Sound familiar at all? Yeah, yep, it, it does. Yes, I do remember that song. Right. And you've heard enough then. What was the song about? Oh, shit, all I can think of is the times they are a changing, and I know that is not the song. It, oh, that's Bob Dylan. The times they are a changing. No, what's the what's the one that they did that's very similar to that, though? It's uh, With Sonny and Cher? Yeah. Damn it, I cannot think of it. I love the beat goes on. That was it. The beat goes, beat on. goes on. The beat goes on. Yeah, I love that song. Love really? That. Yeah, I really do love that song. Yep. Scott Gardner, closet share fan. 
I was, uh, uh, I just, I, good turn, bad turn. We were talking uh, a while back about, uh, about evil can be boys. Cher's show was a big part of my childhood. Goes on. To watch that. Oh, yeah, I love that song. Daddy, 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 daddy. I need some more alcohol. <laughs> especially, especially if we're going to keep playing The Beat Goes On. Uh, that's one bottle down. I, I mean, yeah, the Sonny and Cher show was huge in the 70s. Yeah. They're so huge that after they got divorced, they paid them so much, they paid them enough money to, to keep on doing the show together. Donnie Marie <laughs> show, man. I did not realize that. Yeah, the Donnie and Marie show. You had uh, Sonny yeah, and Cher. You had uh, Captain Welk. Tennille. Lawrence Welk. Hey, I used to watch Lawrence Welk with my grandma. I, yeah, my grandparents used to watch. I thank him. you, boys. You know what's funny is I'd probably appreciate that today, but I did not as a kid at all. Did not appreciate that. But I probably would now. And now here's a gym with a be about a polka. Watching it. <laughs> yeah, the, the little bubble machine going. So we probably have listeners, I'm thinking maybe even new listeners that are listening to this and going, what in the hell does this have to do with anything? So, Well, this is our score episode, and everyone knows that Sonny and Cher were huge Suicide fans. <laughs> <laughs> suicide and by tree. So therefore, oh. let me introduce myself. I'm Paul Spataro, the host of this score episode, along with my two co-hosts, Dr. Bill Robinson. <laughs> Sorry. And Scott Hattrick Gardner. <laughs> well, it's, they say, you know, three goals is a hat trick. You got three hosts. So. There you go. And since we need a new H word for you every time, <laughs> until we finally find out your real middle name. It's H. <laughs> One good one. So we're here to celebrate the opening of Suicide Squad. That was just a rumor. Before Did you go to Suicide Squad. That was celebrating the opening of Suicide Squad. <laughs> Take your pick. Before we get to Suicide Squad, any 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 comic book things going on with you guys? Sadly, I was thinking about this uh, as I was uh, prepping the Scott Cave for tonight's recording that uh, I don't have nothing for comic book news. I haven't gotten any new comics lately. I'm lagging seriously on my reading project and uh yeah i'm, I'm just a sad and pathetic uh, comic book person tonight because i got nothing new to bring to the table as far as what's going on in comic bookie doesn't being a sad and pathetic comic book person make you a less sad and pathetic real person though i in don't theory? know about that i don't know at least in no. the popular culture no 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 we're reality we're, are the we are the popular culture lately have you noticed we are the people your parents warned you about <laughs> that too. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, I got two things. I had commissioned and received in the mail yesterday my Val Merrick inked sketch of Frankenstein nice. and Howard the Duck. That is nice. I, I saw your posting. Mm -hmm. So the thing you posted, what was that? Was that, that was the scan of it that he sent to me before oh. he before I received it in the mail. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. The scan is you know it's a scan. It's exactly the picture. It just doesn't do it justice the same as seeing it printed in front of me. Uh, it's 11 by 17, so it's a good size. Mm. He and inked it as well? Yes. Nice. So it's, it's beautiful. I, I'm really nice. happy with it. I just got to get into a frame now. Yeah, I was mm. jealous. I saw that, and I'm like, damn, that is really sharp. 
Now, I, I thought of it, well, not so much in my mind, but I just thought the combo of characters, it's two people who Val Merrick is famous for doing. Right. And the contrast between the Frankenstein monster and Howard the Duck just kind of amused me. So I thought putting them together on the page would be cool. But the way he drew it, I'm picturing Howard as the blind hermit. Because he's sitting at a table smoking right, a cigar right. and with, with a bottle on the table. So I'm just picturing that scene being played out by the characters as drawn by Val Merrick. I'm trying to think. Off the top of my head, I don't think they ever met either. No, I don't think they did. Hmm. Except, except in the world of Spataro. Right. Because <laughs> now I have, I have proof of it. That is cool. I like that. So, what was I, the other thing you got? Well, the other thing is today I was passing a comic store, so I just took a glance in, and they had a box of beaten up old 60s and 70s books. So by, uh, you know, no question about it, it's a reader copy. It's got a tear on the front cover and all. But for two bucks, I bought a copy of uh, Fantastic Four Annual Number 6. When the first appearance of Annihilus, when they go into the negative zone to help with Sue's pregnancy. Annihilus? Oh, you mean Analus? Oh, yes, Analus. See, I was trying to remember. I thought there was something special about that. That's not the birth of Franklin I think, in I that think, one, though? I, think the, I haven't even opened it out of the, uh, the bag yet, but I think it ends with the birth of the baby. Nice. So for two bucks, like I said, it's a real... Yeah, that's baby. a steal for two bucks. Damn, dude. I, you know, I, in fact... A lot of times, like, I don't like to go to the store and just buy a book. A lot of times, like, if I'm looking through something and I don't find several books, I just, I'll just put the one or two that I thought I might buy back. Right. And say to heck with it. If I'm not buying, like, five or six books, I'm not going to buy any. And I, I was, like, on the edge with this one. And I thought, yeah, two bucks, i got to just buy this, even though I couldn't find anything else. They had a couple of other good ones, but they were more in the 8 and $10 range. And that's a little bit, you know, i got to want those a little more to pay that much money. I don't mean to be cheap, but, you know, I'm being cheap. <laughs> How about you, Dr. Bill? Anything new? Um, well, kind of. Uh, my my esteemed colleague, uh, him and I had some discussions tonight. Uh, my my uh, my boss at work, uh, the branch manager, he fronted me two free tickets to Comic Con this weekend. Ooh! So I'm going to be <laughs> Don't go going to San Diego two weeks after it ended. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> No, that would be the Tampa Bay Comic Con. Oh, okay. So, so actually, Ben and I are going to go because uh, Mr. Gardner has a previous engagement. I do. Well, as soon as I think of what it is, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I, 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 thought of something that that is relevant to both comic books and Back to the Bins that is news for me. So. Long-time listeners to Back to the Bins uh, surely recognize the voice in the opener that comes on and says, Back to the Bins. Well, that is Mr. Voice. That is Eric Peterson, longtime friend of Two True Freaks, going way on back to our earliest, earliest days. And he and I stay in touch, and we keep in contact from time to time. And a while back, uh, we were kind of just messaging back and forth, and it came out in conversation, <clears throat> pardon me, that he's also a big fan of, uh, of Disney Infinity and has actually collected all of the power discs, which, you know, I'm quite impressed with because there's a lot of them and some of them are really hard to find. Well, he had a whole bunch of doubles. And at one point, there were just certain ones that I was trying to find. And he offered me, you know, basically, here's what I have, take what you want. So I just took a few of them. And then later on, 
when I got even more obsessed about the game than I already am, I realized, you know what, I'd like to try to collect all the discs too. And I realized just how close I really was to completing having all the discs. So I got back in touch with him and I'm like, do you still have these several discs, you know, discs that he had offered me before, but I didn't take even though I didn't have them. And he said, yeah, I still have them. Do you want them? I'm like, yeah, sure. So uh, about a week or so ago, they arrived in the mail and one of them was the Cloak of Levitation of Doctor Strange. Mm. So with that disc now in my collection, I think I lack four discs to have like all of them. And I already have all the round discs. So this is just like the hexagonal discs, which basically the hexagonal discs are usually um, either like a sky dome or a texture pack. And I think everything that I lack is, is one or the other. It's either a texture pack or a sky dome. So I have all the vehicles, all the weapons, all the power-ups, all the costume changes, all that sort of thing for uh, for the Marvel superheroes part of of uh, Disney Infinity. So thank you, Eric. I thought that was really cool. But Eric's a good guy. I, I like staying in touch with him. We we don't get to get get to get together as near as often as I would like, but uh, still a great guy. And I, I know he hasn't been mentioned in Two True Freaks Land in a long time, but uh, I do still try to keep in touch with him and uh, and uh, Todd as well. Yeah, we went to, uh, we saw the sneak preview of Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy all together, yep. Yep, absolutely. I think that's Good the guys. last time I can recall you mentioning him. Yep. Good guys. That's oh, about one, all I got. one hmm. more semi related to what you mentioned was the, you actually found the last figure I needed to collect <laughs> what I want out of Infinity, because with you locating a Yondu, um, I will now have all the Marvel figures and all the Star Wars figures and a couple others for other things. But that's what I wanted was all the Marvel and all the Star Wars figures. And once I get at pride out of your clammy little hand. <laughs> mine, mine, mine. Because you're missing that one, too. Yeah. That was a lot of driving, dude. That was a whole lot of driving. But, I, yeah, we finally uh, finally got Yondu. So, uh, yeah, with that, that, that completed uh, all the all the Marvel characters. I have all the Marvels. I mean, of course, I'm giving you over Yondu. But the nice thing about it is I can still put him on my base and, and unlock him in the game. And it's like, here you go. Now you can have it. So all the Marvels and uh, and all the the uh, Star Wars characters and a good chunk of the Disney characters. I don't lack too many characters at this point. I get to uh, say things worked out rather well towards the end of uh, the month of Ju- the month of July because that's when everybody started to dump them. Yeah. And GameStop was doing two buy two get three free used. That's and crazy. I've never heard of such a deal like that before. Buy two. Well, that's get three that's on Skylander. That's on Skylander as well and other stuff. Yep. But um, yeah. and then and then they went the brand new ones for five bucks and everybody's just trying to they're just trying to blow out the inventory and and it w- on the 29th of July they they fi- they finally got around to putting the electronic leash on me the GPS on my work van because <laughs> there was a lot of little side trips. Oh, I could go a mile this way and go to a GameStop. Or I can go a mile this way and go to. A- well, gee, why did you take this long serpentine path to get home from work? Oh, <laughs> I was lost. So, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> my my collection will be complete soon. Yep, that's so good stuff. A, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If we've talked a lot about Infinity on this show, but uh, I would encourage anybody that's a, that's a Marvel superhero fan to to check it out. So, and I mean, there's never be, never going to be a better time than right now because everything is dirt cheap. I mean, you can get in. Uh, get into it now for you know what fifty bucks you could probably have most everything you'd want for the game, 
as yeah. far as you know the, the starter pack, the play sets, and uh, and the characters that you'd really want most. Mm-hmm. It may it might not get you everything, but it'll get you a good chunk of the game that'll you know keep you entertained for for days and days. I think yeah, it's you good stuff. See, there's a lot of good Easter eggs in it. You should have seen me. I, I I told you, Scott, I had to wait one morning before I went to work. I had to go out and get all the bags of uh, the, the Target <laughs> bags, the Best Buy bag, the GameStop bag. I had one big giant bag, and I came sneaking in, and, and Ben was awake. And he's standing there, and I, I thought he was my wife. And I'm like, oh. He's like, oh, it's, it's you. He's like, Ben, you scared the crap out of me. I'm trying to sneak this stuff in the house. <laughs> <laughs> like busted oh <laughs> grown man i'm a grown man afraid of my own wife oh that's sad <laughs> oh i don't want to hear it you were just, t- you were saying like yeah almost every gonna, other man i know <laughs> i gotta sneak my stuff in too man oh <laughs> well that's because I, I i exceeded my my wife's uh good graces on that because when when we first started snapping them all up i went out that one day logan and i and probably spent i don't know 40 50 bucks and got most everything. But then I, I was doing the math when I got home later, and I'm like, you know, for like another 20 to 30 bucks, we could have like everything. And somehow or other, I managed to talk her into it. She's like, yeah, go ahead. You know, if, that, if that's really it, and that's, this is all you need, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's it. And then the next thing you know, it's like, well, you know, for another 10 bucks, and then another 10 bucks, <laughs> and it's like, and the next thing I know, I'm like, I'm just going nuts. So yeah, I've spent so much money on the thing recently, but. You're mortgaging the house. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there's only so much to, to get for it. You know, now that it's it's all said and done, that you know, there, there's not going to be more. So I, I think that was a lot of it was knowing that you know, there's the, an end. The, the end. Yeah, there, end. there's an end. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. ironically, the name is infinity, but there it is finite. <laughs> it's only so much because you know they're not going to produce more. So. Yeah, but yeah, some of the deals were incredible. I mean, like Toys R Us had uh, one and two figures for you know less than four dollars for a brand new figure, and uh, I got Target. one at Target with that well with that app with the yeah. app. I got it for like two seventy nine for a figure. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, there were some really really good deals right there at the end. So yeah, and still some good ones going on. Some of the play sets were down to less than the cost of what the figures were, you know, because the, originally the figures, the, the retail on those was, I think, fourteen ninety nine, yeah, And some of the play sets that originally were like 40 bucks, I think, $39.99. Yeah, like 44 $35. Now bucks. they're down to like $12. So you're mm-hmm. getting two figures and a play set for 12 bucks. I mean, come on, you can't beat that. So I've got one I'm, I'm keeping an eye on. Not a play set, but one of those two-figure packs I'm keeping an eye on right now. They, they got a ton of them at my local Toys R Us, but they still want 30 bucks for it. And the moment that sucker goes, Clarence, I'm scarfing that up. So Clarence, Clarence. Roger, Roger. Yep. <laughs> anyway, again, <laughs> nothing to do with the Suicide, uh, suicide is, Squad. Is this We're so excited to get to this, right? This movie? Hmm? I- I said, is this a reflection of what we're expecting from this movie? I was expect- I'm not expecting was- nothing because I ain't going to see it. So there you go. Well, well that's, was- that's my point. <laughs> I was kind of interested in the movie. And then, like, the marketing, like, really drastically changed with all this Dayglow color crap. And I was like, huh? Uh, okay. Well, uh, I, I interesting. From, I from what I'm picking up, I'm thinking that's a reaction to the reviews and public sentiment about Batman v Superman 
mm-hmm. but all of a sudden they decided we had to go more light. Yeah, but but okay. But they're half. That's what's wrong with it because because all the scenes I see everything's dark, and then they got all this crazy wacky advertising with day glow colors, and I'm like, um, hmm, okay. The thing for me is, uh, you know, I have no problem if they want to make a Suicide Squad movie. I think that's actually pretty cool to take a rather obscure DC property and try to make a movie out of it, you know, a la Marvel doing Guardians of the Galaxy. I think the idea is cool. But imagine in the early days of the Marvel Cinematic Universe if we had Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, and Guardians of the Galaxy. People would be like, huh? You know, so, I mean, you've started off your cinematic universe. You have Batman, Superman, and Suicide Squad. Really? I mean, that's... Give it a couple of years. Build your freaking universe first. Make people care about it. You know, get your whole, whatever you want to call it, your company philosophy or whatever together and solidified first. Get some movies out there that don't tank or have terrible reviews Get all that straightened out and then go for some of your, your lesser known properties that have a pretty good shot of of success because there's something new and original. So, I mean, they had great potential with this movie and with this property, but I, I just, you know, really, this is this is what you're going to, you know, springboard your, your cinematic universe with, with, with Suicide Squad. That just that I just don't understand that. And that, that's been kind of my problem with the whole DC cinematic universe from the get-go is that they're, they want to run before they've even learned to walk. You know what I mean? I mean, Marvel earned what they've got because they start, you know, they had their first big success with Iron Man and, and the Hulk. And it was kind of baby steps leading into, okay, now we can do the Avengers. And DC wants to do it of, of okay, we have... One movie that just gives you everything, and then the next movie is going to be the next, you know, the, you know, the Justice League. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, really? Two movies in, and you think you can be at the Marvel level? Ah, it doesn't work that way. You, you got to earn that shit, and they're not earning it, you know. See, so, I, I think I don't know. I I agree totally with what you're saying. So don't let this sound like I'm contradicting you. But I do. Oh, think... I'm used to it. <laughs> no, but I, I think you're right. I think what you're saying makes sense, but. I do think you can jump in if you want, like they did with X-Men. You know, they didn't say, okay, we're going to do a Wolverine movie, then a Cyclops movie, and then we're going to do X-Men. They said, we're going to do X-Men. We're going to introduce these characters. We're going to try and introduce them in a way where it makes sense. Some of them are going to be pre-existing characters, and you're going to have to kind of figure it out as we go along. And, you know, they had fair to midland success with that. I mean, it wasn't huge blockbuster, and it wasn't Marvel, obviously. That was Fox. But... They didn't have to crawl first. They just jumped in effectively. But I think You're... that's the difference is they jumped in. I feel like DC is like they want to put their toe in the water and they want everybody to take it, but they're really not making the effort one way or the other. They're kind of half-assing it both ways. Right. You know, okay, we're going to do the uh, the Suicide Squad, but we're going to still have the Joker and Batman in it. But we really right. haven't established this Joker in, at all. And, the, the you know, even Batman, we kind of gave you like a little bit of in... Batman v Superman, but not enough that, that, okay, he's an icon now as far as the way, you know, the current cinematic Batman is. It's, it feels half-assed to me. I saw a post on Facebook the other day from my oldest boy, from Scotty, who I hope is listening, and I couldn't be prouder because, he was, you know, his whole beef with the movie and the reason he wasn't going to see it, he said, was just that the, the characters were barely recognizable. And that that's a big deal to me, 
Um, you know, I, what the hell are they doing with the Joker? I mean, I'm not much of a Joker enthusiast anymore anyway. That character is so oversaturated that I've really lost my interest whatsoever with him. But if you're going to give him to me again, at least make it close to the comment. He doesn't, I mean, what, what the hell interpretation are they going with? He, he, he's some scrawny, tattooed-up freak with metal teeth. What the hell is that all about? I mean, unless there's some version of him out there in the comics that I'm just totally unaware of, but I don't recall ever seeing him like that before, and it's just, it's just bizarre. Yeah, and, I, I got to say, what I've seen of that, of this particular portrayal, I don't, I don't appreciate. I, it doesn't yeah, do anything. A lot of the characters, I, I mean, I can't really think of any of the characters that I think look particularly faithful to the comic book source. And again, I realize that sometimes when you're talking, you know, the cinema versus the comic books, that there has to be a certain, a bit of, of give and take there, you know, interpreting for the screen and all that. But again, it, it's another one of those examples that they've just gone so far that even me, you know, somebody who feels like I'm fairly well steeped in comic book lore, look at it and go, what the, what is this? You know, who, who the hell is this supposed to be? Cause it, this isn't the person you're telling me it is. Um, like the Enchantress. I mean, what? I mean, she was, you know, she was sexy and, you know, she looked, she was basically just like a witch. And now they've got her looking like something out of like Anne Rice's The Mummy or something. Oh, what, the, what the hell was that all about? So I just, I don't know, the whole thing just put me off because I'm, I'm like, it just looks like more of the same of what DC's been doing all along with their with their movies lately is just taking the name and then doing their own thing that's so far off base that it's off-putting to me. I don't know. That's me. So as best as I could tell, none of the three of us are planning to see this this weekend. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably, probably not. I mean, Bar- I don't barring know. honestly, barring hearing something significantly more positive than what I've heard, I'll see this when I can watch it at home at no additional expense to myself over what I'm already paying for cable. You know, when it comes on a channel that I right. already subscribe to, I'll watch it. Or if somebody, you know, I walk into the library and it's sitting on the shelf right. and I could take it out and watch it, that's fine. But I, I don't anticipate spending any money out of my pocket, barring again hearing something Hello? far far more positive than what I've heard up to this point. Anyway, yay Suicide Squad. <laughs> we're, here, we're here not to bury, but to celebrate. <laughs> Anyways, so, you know... Our, our our opinions going in are not positive, uh, and I well, would say I would say that's based on more on what we're hearing than anything else. That's not just seeing a trailer and saying say oh, this looks like shit. I don't want to say mine's not positive. I just don't have a strong an interest in it to go to go see it in the theater. I mean, I, I'm not I, I'm not going you know poo pooing it. I just you know just like I mean not as adamant as I was against not seeing Star Trek. So it's just I just want to save my money. Yeah, well, we, we were talking about this the other day, and there was the sentiment of, oh, well, it's a comic book movie, so of course you want to see it. Yeah. I said, no, it's a comic book movie, so I have some interest in what it is. But there are certain movies that I have enough interest in that I'm going to see. I don't care what the reviews are. I'm going to see them. Civil War going into it, it didn't matter what the reviews were. I was going to the theater to see it. Other movies, you know, like this one, 
my interest is more mild. And if I don't hear something positive, it's not worth me spending the kind of money it costs to go. You know, when I go, I usually go with my two kids. It's, it's, not, it's not a cheap thing to go out to the movies. And, and it does, just doesn't seem worth spending significant dollars on it. You know, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I just can't necessarily be bothered. I, I saw the Rolling Stone review on this thing, and they started to say, like, you know, I'm paraphrasing it, but the way the review was was kind of as a joke. They said, this movie's so bad that it makes Batman v Superman look good. And then, but then they, it was like, no, I take that back. At least Batman v Superman tried. This movie is so bad, it makes the Fantastic Four movie look good. So, and if, if, if it makes the Fantastic oh, Four wow. movie look good, then this wow. movie's bad. Wow. Well, they're looking for $140 million on the opening weekend. I don't think they're getting it. Not with the buzz that the, that's out there right now. I, I, I think this may be... Well, I think they're already committed... On Wonder Woman and JLA, I think those are coming out no matter what this does. But barring one of those being a huge hit, and I, if I was going to put money on it, it would be Wonder Woman. Uh, they may they may rethink the entire, they may scrap the whole cinematic plan and have to come up with a whole new thing. Please, I'm I'm hoping, I am really hoping. See, the, I, I'm torn on that, and I understand your point of view on it, but my thing is. I don't know. The Wonder Woman movie looks pretty good. I don't want it to be bad. On the other hand, the, the, you know, they're causing them to scrap the whole thing and, and redo it. You know, that's not necessarily bad either. But you know, I, I'm not I'm not that young anymore. I can't wait thirty years for them to come up with a good, you know, a, a, a good theory on how to do this stuff. So maybe the Wonder Woman can be movie can be good, and then that could show them, hey, this is how we do it. It looks interesting from the trailer I saw with her World War One. I kept looking in the trailer. I couldn't find Lyle Wagner anywhere. <laughs> Understand that I, I don't want any of them to be bad. I, I don't because I, I'm afraid that it hurts the character. And more importantly, I, I'm afraid that it would hurt the, as you say, we're, we're not getting any younger. And I don't want it to hurt the viability of there being another better attempt, you know, later down the road with these same characters. But here's the thing is that, you know, this Wonder Woman movie comes out and, and does gangbusters. And even if it's a great movie, even if it came out and I loved it, that only, I would think, continues what they're already doing. And I, no matter what they do with the Superman that they are presently putting on the screen, I, I can't see them turning that character around to a point where I would suddenly embrace it because of his roots with Man of Steel and now Batman v Superman. I, I just, I, I don't see that happening. So while I don't want to actively root for any of these movies not to do well, if it quickly brings an end to the current DC cinematic universe and with, you know, the understanding that, okay, we're going to shut all this down. We're going to reboot the whole damn thing. We're going to do it right the next time around. Then, okay, then I'm I'm for that, if that makes any sense. Because I, I don't, yeah, I, no, I just I don't want them to continue down the, the path that they're going down right now. I, I just, I, I don't like this dark and gritty interpretation of the entire universe. That interpretation works for particular characters. You know, you want to do a dark and gritty Batman or Spectre or you know, Suicide Squad or whatever, that's fine. But as I've said a million times before, 
Superman's the core of their universe. If you if you can't get him right, then the universe doesn't work for me. And that's why I'm I'm not on board with the cinematic stuff. It's why I'm not on board with the TV stuff. And it's why I'm not on board with the comic book stuff anymore. Because he's fundamentally broken. And when he doesn't work, the universe doesn't work for me. See, I, I didn't like Brandon Routh's portrayal of Superman. Uh I thought he was wooden. I thought he was doing a Christopher Reeve imitation, not acting himself. I didn't mind that version going away. I didn't like having to wait however many years it was before they tried again. Right. But I didn't mind that version going away. Now, I mean, I'm, my, my, on, I'm on record for Man of Steel in a lot of ways. Uh, I, overall, I liked the movie, but there were things about it I didn't like, and the things about it I didn't like I think are similar to the things you don't like, except I'm just not as bothered by them as you are but i think if we you know if we sat down and broke down the movie i think the things you don't like are the same things i don't like um but i do like i do think henry cavill is a decent actor i think he does play the character fairly well when it's written the right way in the scenes where his character was written in a way i liked i thought he carried it out i thought he carried it off i'll agree with that so if this is probably not you know, it's probably wishful thinking on my part, but my hopes would be they get the Wonder Woman movie right. From what I heard, you know, if you look at it, it's brighter. It's not as dark as what they've been doing with these other movies. And the, and the, the action in it, in the trailer at least, looks good. So if they get that movie right, if it turns out that they do, and then somebody is smart enough in the DC production group to sit there and say, okay, these are the aspects of... Wonder Woman that worked and that the that are going to work with the audience. Hey, instead of shit canning Superman, let's write a script the right way. We'll kind of ignore a little of what we did in the past that didn't work, and we'll just you know we don't necessarily have to build on that and do more of it. Let's fix it and let's come out with a new Superman movie the right way, and we can still make it a continuation of this universe, but we're just going to kind of change our focus and change our shift. I think it can be done, and again, it may be wishful thinking, but. Given my druthers, that's the way it would happen. Because I don't want to wait 10 more years for a good Superman movie. Now, my fear is they're going to do this stupid thing, and I, I just don't want them to do it. It can be done right, but I don't think they will. That they're going to have uh, Superman be dead in, in this new Justice League movie, and have Darkseid revive him somehow, and he's going to start off the movie being brainwashed to go after the Justice League, and that's how they're going to end this part going into the next Justice League movie. And I don't want that. I want Superman to be the core of the Justice League. I don't want him to be the guy who, who gets them together because he's the threat. Mm. But I'm afraid that's where they're going with it. Hmm. I hadn't heard that, but it, it, make, it seems to make a certain amount of sense, you know, given production art I've seen and, and just where the characters seem to be, you know, in play at the moment. So I don't yeah. know. That's my, my thought is the second Justice League movie will have them, you know, getting him to snap out of it and, and be on their side. Right. But, you know, that, that's when he turns into Red Tornado instead of Superman. You know, I, I don't want him to be the, the element of destruction of the villain or the, the weapon of destruction of the villain. I don't want that. They did it in the cartoon and they actually did it okay. Well, it's funny you say that because I was just going to say that that was the the one misstep I felt like they made in the animated series. Well, here's the thing. It didn't bother I, me in the animated series because it was one episode out of whatever, 60. 
but it was the last episode. That was the problem. Is that I, I think that I would be a lot more forgiving about it if it was just another part of the series because there's no denying it's a really good uh, two-part episode. But the problem is the series ends there. Oh, and that's so you're, that's, you're oh yeah, last, with Dark Side. Yeah, your last impression of the character in that series is that all of a sudden he's taken to his darkest place in the series and at the very end of it it basically ends where a lot of people are now afraid of him including emil uh, emil hamilton and that i was never comfortable with that because up till that point that series is arguably the best other media interpretation we ever got of superman and that i would even say that includes the chris reeve movies because that series was just dead on. It, it distilled the essence of Superman. And it, and it did that magic trick that we talked about a while back when we were talking about that, um, that uh, Batman Superman, or was it Superman Batman? I forget the name of the series. The, the two-parter that, that Bill brought, you were talking about how cool that story was that it didn't seem to embrace a particular version of Superman or Batman. It kind of embraced all of them. And that's kind of what I felt like Superman the Animated Series did, is it didn't focus on a particular comic book iteration of Superman. It kind of borrowed elements from a lot of them, because in a lot of ways that Superman was the John Byrne Superman because his parents were still alive and all that, and certain elements of John Byrne's origin story were brought into it. But clearly the Krypton he came from was the Silver Age Krypton, and I thought that was really cool. It wasn't John Byrne's sterile Krypton. So it, it borrowed elements from all over the place, and I really liked that. And I, I thought it was a great interpretation of the character. I just didn't like the place it left him in at the end. And I, and I don't even know that that's necessarily sh the showrunner's fault because I kind of always had the feeling that that the rug just kind of got pulled out out from under them at the end. I think they got canceled as opposed to having said everything they wanted to say. You know what I mean? Like when, yeah, that's when the question I had as well. Yeah, when Batman ended, it, it ended because that's where they wanted it to end. Whereas Superman, I think, got got pulled, if I'm not mistaken. But I think they got pulled because they decided they wanted to go Justice League. I don't think it got pulled because it was doing badly. And I don't know. I, but I, I also thought Justice League did kind of address that particular ending. Because eventually they let him did, go yeah. back against Darkseid and, and right. have his, you know, his, his, his redeeming moment, if, you know. So it, it didn't it didn't leave that bad taste in my mouth, but you know we, we get these movies we're not we're not going to get Superman movies so frequently that they can mess with the character and have us say yeah it's okay we're going to get another one in you know five years. Do you know if Hero listens? I'm pretty sure he does. Hero, I'm hope yeah, if he wasn't he will he, now. He had pitched the idea to me quite a while back about us. Uh, teaming up and doing a uh, Superman the Animated Series podcast. And if he's still amenable to that idea, I, I would love to make that happen because I loved that show. And I'm overdue for a rewatch. Sounds to me, I could be wrong, but it sounds to me like you've gotten your podcasting juices flowing again. You're looking I'm for like a new project to excite yourself. Ew. Yeah, I, I've been itching to, uh, to, get, you know, to get back on the horse. So I want nothing to do with Scott's juices. <laughs> well, are we ready to dive into this sucker? Yeah, we must. <laughs> eh? 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 Okay, here, I have a question for you guys. When was the last time we did a score episode where I didn't do the oldest issue? 
Hmm. I'm not sure there was one. Hmm. <laughs> not only do I not have the oldest issue, I have the newest issue. Of you have the most recent. Yeah, that's funny. Hmm. I think usually I, have... I go back for the classic, and I actually thought of doing a Brave and the Bold Suicide Squad, but that was such a different iteration of the group that I thought, you know what, let's let's go with something a little closer to what we get in the movies here. Right. Even though the one I'm doing really is not what we're getting in the movies anyway. But that's besides <laughs> the point. Well, are we ready to jump in? You have the oldest book, Scott. All right. What? So... He does? Yeah, he does I have do. the oldest Oh, okay. I do have the oldest book. You know what I don't have, though? I don't have Bulls. Mike's oh, amazing world pulled up. And, what'd you say? He said, you know what I don't have? I said, Bulls. <laughs> this man has no dick. Um, no, I don't uh, I don't have Mike's amazing world uh, pulled up here, so let me do that real quick, because I'm curious as to the actual street date of this particular issue, and I don't know that information, so I'm just going to keep talking until I actually... Get my shit together here. So and while see. you're doing that, I'm going to look up mine because I don't have that. <laughs> oh, whoops. Come on. I actually had mine and I didn't write it down and I'm not going to look it up. Come on. Where the hell is it? Come on. Come on. What are you? Why am I not seeing this? Why am I not seeing this here? Great. I, I just spelled misspelled suicide. Suicide. Oh, here it is. Okay, I found it. Never mind. All right, crisis averted. Here we go. All right, so what I have is Legends, number one. This is cover dated November 1986. was actually on sale on the stands, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, August 28th, 1986. So this is fast coming up on its 30th anniversary. So, wow, that's just frightening to think about that it was 30 years ago on this sucker because... I bought, not only did I buy this off the stands, I bought, like, a stack of number ones on this one. Uh, I've always loved this cover. I think it's a great cover. I think this would make an awesome t-shirt or poster or something. Uh, cover artist on this is John L. Byrne. And there's something about this cover. I, I think it's a painted cover. Or it's at least, like, maybe the background is painted or something. It just it has a very different look from other comics uh, that were on the stands around the same time. I, I, I think that's a painted background, but maybe not everything else in the foreground is painted. I'm not sure. But anyway, this uh, it's billed right on the cover. It says, The Epic of the Century starts right here. Now, a little bit of backstory on Legends. Legends was the next big crossover event for DC after Crisis on Infinite Earths. And... In its infancy, when, when the idea that became eventually the Legends series was, was first thought up, it was going to be a direct sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was going to be called something like Crisis of the Soul, I think, or something to that effect. And, you know, the, the idea kept mutating and everything till eventually um, this is what we got was Legends. Uh, I haven't read this in a long, long time, but at the time it came out, damn, I love this. I thought this was a really, really good series. And one of the reasons is uh, for uh, the, the cast of characters that's touched upon through the entire series, but also just the fact that you had top talent working on this. You got John Ostrander was the plotter on this. Len Wein is the scripter. John Byrne does not only the great, beautiful covers on here, but uh, he also was the penciler on the entire series. Carl Kessel, or Kiesel, depending, depending on uh, your 
<laughs> your preferred pronunciation uh, to the inking. You know, I know a lot of people want to want to say uh, Terry Austin for John Byrne, but personally, I I think I'd actually put Kessel just one level up. Uh, I, I personally I think he's my favorite John Byrne inker because I, I just everything they didn't work together a whole lot. But the stuff they did together is some of Burns' very best stuff, and I think that's because of the way that uh, that Kessel inked him. I just I really like his inking on there. Anyway, I do not have a preset synopsis because really, with this episode focusing on the Suicide Squad, um, I, it'll become obvious here in a minute why I picked this particular issue. But I didn't feel like a, a full synopsis of the issue itself really was all that necessary because the Suicide Squad is really only a tiny bit of this particular issue. But anyway, in short, issue starts out, and this is the first issue in the series, a story called Once Upon a Time, and it starts out with the world of Apocalypse. Now, this is Darkseid's planet where he lives and he rules as absolute you know, monarch and despot of his people and all this other stuff. Anyway, he's bored. You know, he's basically got no more worlds to conquer, and his little toady guy, Desaad, reminds him, well, you know, you haven't exactly conquered everybody because the Earth keeps thwarting you every time you try to take it over. And he reminds him that it's Earth's heroes that have always stopped him. And there's a great little panel uh, on the bottom of page two that shows these little floaty figures of Earth superheroes, again, depicted by John Byrne. They just look fantastic. Uh, Byrne Superman, my absolute favorite Superman. They all look really great. And what's neat is at first, when you look at this, you think that they're all holographic images. But then, a page later, you've got Darkseid actually handling Captain Marvel, you know, the Shazam character, holding him in his hand, and then a moment later he squeezes his hand and snaps it, and it looks like it was actually an action figure. So, how does this work exactly? Like, Darkseid went out to Toys R Us and, and bought all these action figures for for Darkseid's collection? Or, you know, how did the, how does this work? I, I don't... Anyway. So, this plot is hatched where basically Darkseid is going to win against the heroes because he's going to undermine the legends of these heroes on earth he, he's in he's uh, called upon a couple of his subordinates here you've got uh glorious godfrey and dr bedlam and he's sending them to earth to basically sow the seeds of uh whatever you want to call it with the legends to kind of you know bring them down to where people don't uh have the same opinion of them anymore or whatever so anyway we cut to uh, one of the Star Labs facilities. Uh, this one is actually, uh, this one's in New York City. And you have Professor Stein is actually teamed up with Dr. Clyborne, who was from uh, the Superman adventures around this time. And they're starting up some new nuclear reactor thing. And all of a sudden, this seed that Darkseid has sent from Apocalypse takes root in the nuclear reactor and thus is born this giant flaming nuclear creature called Brimstone who busts out and he's, you know, talking, he's, he's just got some ridiculous dialogue. He's saying, behold the fallen angel known as Brimstone, gazing in my eyes, you mighty in despair. He's got really ridiculous dialogue. So uh, Professor Stein, of course, is one half of Firestorm, so he summons Ronnie Raymond to him, they form up their firestorm and they're going to try to tackle this creature. Well, they quickly get their ass handed to them by Brimstone. We cut to 
uh, over on Wall Street, still in Manhattan, and we see Deadshot, who eventually will become part of the Suicide Squad, a big member of the Suicide Squad uh, later on, and he's going up against The Flash. Now, this is the Wally West version of The, of the Flash, right after Crisis, where he had been cured of the disease that was killing him, but now he's seriously depowered to where he can uh, run, as he say, was it right around the speed of sound? He says he can't run any faster than the speed of sound, um, which I always kind of liked because this is where I jumped into actually reading The Flash when they rebooted The Flash with number one right after Crisis. I actually read this for a time because I liked this version of The Flash a lot better than the old classic uh, Barry Allen one. Anyway, The Flash takes down Deadshot, no problem, goes to Titan's Tower, and has a little heart-to-heart -heart with uh, Gar Logan. Uh, what was he known as at this changeling at this time, later on Beast Boy? Or he had been Beast Boy, and then he was changeling at this time, and went back to Beast Boy later on. They're having a little heart-to-heart -heart while on TV, Billy Batson is interviewing uh, Glorious Godfrey, who's now going by G. Gordon Godfrey. And his, he's having this uh, campaign against superheroes and the violence that they bring to cities and all this other stuff. This is the beginning of the campaign to bring down the superheroes. Well, something's happening and the station loses power. So while everything's all blacked out, Billy runs out of the station, shouts his magic word Shazam and turns into Captain Marvel to go investigate. This is all playing into Darkseid's plan, apparently, because we get a nice shot of Glorious Godfrey thinking to himself, perfect, the master will be well pleased. Captain Marvel flies outside and he goes up against Macro Man, this giant who kind of looks, he actually looks a lot like, um, like Galactus. He's basically like Galactus painted gold, uh, but he's called Macro Man. And Captain Marvel is batting him around and everything. And they're having a pretty good fight. When all of a sudden Macro Man gets the upper hand, he grabs a hold of Captain Marvel, slams him to the ground, and he's using his giant size to basically put the squeeze on him and, and the pressure on him, and he's going to crush him. And Captain Marvel realizes that even with his great strength, he can't pry himself free, and he's afraid that, uh, that this might be the end of him. So he figures out a way, basically the only way he thinks that he can escape is to say his magic word, turn back into Billy Batson, who of course is just a kid, so he's much smaller than Captain Marvel, and then he can wiggle out of out from under uh, Macro Man's hand. He does this, he shouts his magic word, but when the lightning comes down, it actually sets Macro Man ablaze. And Macro Man is now you know, fully engulfed, stumbles off the edge of the roof, and dies. And Billy witnesses all this, and he's just stunned. And he realizes, my power just murdered that man. All right, and then we get to the Suicide Squad relevant portion of the issue, where at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., we see Rick Flagg, Colonel Rick Flagg, uh, walks into Task Force X and reports, and he meets uh, the person who essentially he's going to be working with in Task Force X, Amanda Waller. This is the first appearance of Amanda Waller in comics. And so Burns depiction here basically set the look and the tone of, of what this character would be uh, pretty much uh, for uh, the, the whole period of the, uh, basically the from crisis to crisis version uh, of the DC universe. And they, uh, 
they kind of feel each other out, you know, going toe to toe, so to speak, but basically come to the realization that uh, Rick Flagg, if he accepts the job, which he does, is really the best man to uh, to lead this uh, this job. And I'm Rick Flagg, bitch. <laughs> and the hint is dropped that this is going to be a very different version of the Suicide Squad. Um, we, we don't really see much of that in this issue other than the fact that she hands uh, Flag a stack of dossiers saying that this is uh, Task Force X's first candidates and Rick looks through them. Now, we're not privy to what he's seeing, but he has quite a reaction saying, come on, you can't be serious. And... Of course, spoiler, this is not revealed in this issue, but uh, really what the twist is here is that the Suicide Squad is now going to be made up of super villains. That's kind of where the whole thing goes eventually. Uh, we then cut to a diner where Cosmic Boy, and I'd forgotten about this, Cosmic Boy of the Legion of Superheroes is actually kind of on vacation, so to speak, in 20th, you know, on 20th century Earth or in 20th century Earth, and he's there with his girlfriend. Now, he actually had a mini-series at exactly the same time, which was a Legends crossover. I'd completely forgotten about this, and as I recall, that was actually a pretty decent series. Well, he's in the diner, and of course, that, uh, you know, his, uh, his lunch or whatever is disturbed by Brimstone. So he flies out to go up against Brimstone, and he's holding his own at first, but then Brimstone just brings an entire building down on him, and he has to use his... Uh, super magnet, uh, magnetic powers to basically save his skin from being crushed to death. And as he's picking himself up, somebody off panel says, need a helping hand, fella? And you turn the page and it's the Justice League, except it's the Justice League of the era, which was the Detroit League. So you've got the Martian Manhunter uh, leading the very ragtag team that we had at the time, calling themselves the Justice League, which includes Vibe, and Vixen, the Elongated Man, all those guys. And Firestorm is actually with them as well. So now you've got uh, a few more heroes that are all teaming up and looks like they're going to try to take on Brimstone. Last page of the book, Vibe, we cut back. Vibe, who, Vibe who actually is in uh, The Flash TV show. Just is saying. he? Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Well, it's he's, he's not introduced as Vibe. He's introduced as his normal, uh, I guess, non-powered character, and it works into it. Over what the seasons, was his name like Paco or something like that? <laughs> that's no, that's not racist at all. Cisco. Guy. No, Cisco. that was his name though, right? Oh, no, no. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to be funny, but I mean, wasn't his name really something like that? It was like really embarrassing. I, but is that his nickname or is his name Ramon or is that his last name? I, I believe it's Cisco Ramon. Cisco Ramon. Oh, okay. I really did think his name was Paco something. I, I, I didn't realize that, that was his name, and when they showed him on Flash, I actually looked him up. You know, and said, oh, that's Vibe, okay. So that's his name, Cisco Ramon. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the very last page, we cut back to Billy Batson, and he's uh, he's basically he's witnessing the smoldering remains of, of uh, what the hell is the dude's name? Anyway, Macrame. Macrame uh, yeah. man, right? That's why he caught on fire so easily. <laughs> he had a macrame. And because of what has happened and, and because a man has now died due to what Billy thinks was his actions by calling down the magic lightning, he swears that he shall never become Captain Marvel again. And we see the floaty head of Darkseid laughing uh, in the background. First blood to Darkseid, it says, next month things get worse. Breach of faith. Call and that is Legends number one. 
calling down the magic lightning. Is that some type of euphemism for something? <laughs> That's no right, more, baby. No more calling down the magic lightning for me. What'd you guys think of this? I didn't think it was much of a suicide squad issue, <laughs> but, but I liked the story and I was glad you picked it. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's nice because it, it, it mm -hmm. like kicks off a lot of new things that are going to be in the DC universe at this time. Yep. It's kind of like the 1987 DC sampler. Yes. That's what it feels like to me. And yeah. I remember this, this was after I had gone on my comic book sabbatical for a few years. And when I got back into it around whatever year it was, 91, 92, uh, this was in the comic store, like the entire run, six issues for like a dollar each or something, or, or maybe less, I don't even remember. And I picked it up then. So, so far as I'm aware, these issues do not price very much at all. I, I know I've seen issues in the 50 cent bin before. I don't know if they still are these days. Because, you know, as this series is, is now approaching, you know, being 30 years old, maybe the prices are starting to climb. I'm not sure. But I know I have seen it in 50 cent bins in the past. But uh, I, I always enjoyed it. I always thought it was a really good series. As I say, I haven't read it in quite a long time. And I agree with you. This does very much read like kind of a like an introductory issue, like a like a you know one of those sampler things uh, that you would get these days. You know, I mean, it's it's got beautiful John Byrne art. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm I'm not quite on board with you to, to say like I wouldn't put this above Terry Austin, but it's still great. I mm -hmm. I, I happen to really like Byrne Austin. I, I I'm. I'm happy with Kessel on Burn, but I like Austin even more. And that's I think that's just a matter of taste, because there's nothing wrong with this. Right. Um, I, I think the audience, it's, it's, it's typical Burn of the 80s, which I, I'm not sure Burn produced anything in the 80s that was bad. I'm not sure Burn ever produced anything that, that I thought the art was bad. Uh, some of it is less inspired than others. Uh, but I'm not sure he produced anything in the 80s that I would even give that description to. I think everything he did in the, in the 70s and 80s is awesome, pretty much. And this this falls right in with it. And that out at me a little bit is when he got to Changeling, it reminded me of the George Perez Changeling. Yeah. It didn't look like, oh, this is Burns' take on it. It looked like this is George uh, George Perez's Changeling. George, George Burns. Or George Burns'. Yeah, Changeling. Yeah, you got to go. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even do George Burns. Let's forget that. Gracie. <laughs> I I love his Captain Marvel. God, I I wish that uh, that that Captain Marvel series that he was going to do had gotten the green light. You know, I, I really wish that that had actually happened. I think Byrne would have been perfect for a reboot of Captain Marvel because they're always they were always looking to try and make a more simplistic look. You know, from from the beginning when they brought back CC Beck to draw it, right. And Burns' style is that, you know, I mean, for, you know, not to be, it almost sounds like it's an insult, but Burns' style is a simple, clean style. Right. And I think that's perfect for what they wanted. They wanted something very, very clean. They didn't want anything dark at all. And Burns' stuff is not dark. And I think it, would, it really would have played well with, with Captain Marvel, especially if they just let him have the reins and let him write it, too. I think, I think it would have been a great series. I don't know why they didn't greenlight it. It might have been their the one chance to, to really make that character big, and, and they dropped the ball. Excuse me, dropped the ball on it. Yeah, I Burn agree. Stuff, Burn stuff is not dark, but Burt stuff is. Oh, sorry. 
I mean, he, he can be, I mean, if you, the splash page shows you he can draw a dark. Right. Oh, what, what, with dark side? In, oh, this is the shot of Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I was getting dark. I was getting the man and the planet there. Or even, you know, go to the second page with dark side, you know. And dark side is, is drawn in a dark way. But very, then you cut to it's his... a very, um, um, yeah, I'm locking up. I think Burns' dark side has that real stone-looking face that some artists don't capture that well. Right. It's got the Kirby. It's got a Kirby quality to it too, especially Desaad on the bottom panel. On page yes, two. very much. I I do get a kick out of he, that he he commissioned uh, superhero action figures though. <laughs> <laughs> this one was was no longer mint in box. I'm gonna crush it. <laughs> Dark side. I had to go to every Toys R Us in the city for this one. It's. A, I mean, it's a solid story. It's a solid issue. The story is is fine. It's good. Bernard is what really elevates it, though, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. What about you, Bill? What do you think? Um. Had you read this before? Oh yeah, it'd been a long time. I think I read this not too long after it came out. But I didn't really, all I really re, because you and I had talked a little bit about this, and I thought Magpie was in this, but I'm thinking that was in, uh, that was in the Superman crossover, wasn't it? Because I remember Byrne drawing Magpie. That was in Man of Steel. Okay, all right, then that's, oh. when, when When Batman appeared in it. I think we covered so, that issue in here, didn't we? Yeah, but, so well, that wasn't the Legends. Well, what you're thinking of, she, she, she appeared, she appeared She appeared in the miniseries, she, right? She was in the Man of Steel miniseries issue three, I want to say, with the it was the Batman issue, right? And then the first, I think it was the first Legends crossover issue. It, it actually, I think it actually was on the stands before Legends number one was was Batman. I want to say it was four oh one. It has a burn cover with Magpie. And, uh, you know, I'm going to look this up because I want to be sure of my facts on this. Yeah, because I was, remember uh, her on a cover. But, yeah, I guess she was in the Man of Steel. Maybe I'm thinking of the Man of Steel issue, but the but 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 the other cover. Right. Let's see here. Batman, yeah, the water, Batman. Batman 401. And it was. It was on sale August 7th. So it came out about, what is that, three weeks. About three weeks before this issue. And it's bannered as a crossover Legends Chapter 1. But this actually came out before... The first issue of Legends, and it says it's a John Byrne cover. It says right on the cover, her name is Magpie, and she wonders what's it, what's it say how the Batman will look as he dies. As I recall, mm. not a good issue. Yeah, because it uh, was written by Barbara Kessel, who had been Barbara Randall. Uh, oh yeah, it was Trevor Von Eden was the art, and I don't like his stuff. So yeah, I that's all I remembered was that cover. I couldn't remember anything of the interior on this, but as I recall, not a particularly good issue. But much you know, like Crisis Established, you know, this was this was the first post-Crisis big crossover event, and so there were a number of Legends crossovers. And what they did was they did them um, by chapters. So it would, basically, it was trying to tell you which chapter of Legends they thought that it, that it crossed over with. Mm -hmm. And I don't I'm trying to remember. It was either this one or Millennium, I forget, but there was one of the two of those crossover events that they just didn't quite nail it because the books didn't seem to come out concurrently with the chapter that they were supposed to be tying into. 
and I can't remember if that was Legends or Millennium, or maybe both of them. I forget. Mm. Well, you know, one thing I noticed on the big splash of the of the Justice League, actually, we have four people on that page that have now crossed over into the DC TV universe. We got Vibe, Vixen, Martian Manhunter, and Firestorm. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we've seen Steel or Gypsy or the Elongated Man, have we? Uh, I'm pretty confident that the answer is no on any of those, as well as Cosmic Boy. Right, right. The, but, that yeah. that splash page. It's the one thing. I don't know if it's if it's just me or if it's uh, if 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 I'm accurate or not. But John Johns is just a little too big. Well, he is a shape he's, changer. But yeah, I mean, in that shot, he's got to easily be eight feet tall. Well, Gypsy's pretty big, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's it's just ask a plastic surgeon. <laughs> Every night when the men came around. But the, you know that's that's the one thing. Like the proportion looks a little off, or the perspective looks a little off on uh, John Johns. He just looks too big in that shot. Has he always had that belt buckle? The clam? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's just because he's so freaking huge. He's drawn fine. I just think he should be slightly smaller. And I'm not talking much smaller, just slightly. I like how they made the rest of the to make the characters pop. What they're standing on is all grayed out. It, it it has no definition or color. And there's like these right. etchy, scratchy shadows. So right. like the characters are just vibrant and just, you know, like I said, they pop. They're there. But, uh, yeah, Brimstone was pretty scary. I remember I'm trying to think. I don't really mm, try to remember how they defeat him. But it's not coming to me. Does the Cosmic Boy do something in the end to defeat him? I don't. I can't remember. Brimstone almost seems to me like generic John Byrne, super cosmic villain. He looks a lot like uh, is it Holocaust from yeah. from X yeah. Men universe. Yeah, and Amanda Waller's just scary as a floating head. Oh, I love the way he draws her though. Yeah, but it's the one yeah. panel she's just a floating head with a couple chins. <laughs> I don't like when they when they portrayed Amanda Waller as you know good looking. I think you know short like and, and heavy and and just imposing and not willing to back down in the slightest something you mean like she is an arrow what, on, she was on arrow, arrow isn't she angela bassett or is that uh, in something else was that in uh it was angela bassett played it and played the part in something i don't remember which one yeah i don't remember the actress but she is she was portrayed as good looking in arrow yeah i don't think it was I, I think angela bassett was in one of the movies but maybe green lantern mm, i think you're right but that's, you know, I, I don't think she should be portrayed as good-looking. I think she should be portrayed as somebody who you're kind of frightened of as soon as you see her. She's threatening. Right. You know, you're saying, you saying I, fat people are frightening? <laughs> nobody, nobody's scared of me. Me neither, but, but some of them are. Oh, please. I don't want to go, oh, I'm so fat. <laughs> oh, trust me, I'm fat, dude. Yeah, Brimstone also reminds me of the uh, the space ghost from Scooby-Doo, the one that would just run around going, <laughs> I'm just laughing all the time. You know the one I'm talking about? No. You do too. <laughs> roast. It's a roast. He would have gotten away with it if not for you rotten kids. Now I got to find that. Right. All right. Well, are we ready for grades on this? Your book, your grade. All right. So, cover. I'm going to give the cover a straight up. Um, I think I'm going to go A plus on the cover. I, I like it. I don't find any fault with it at all. I think it's uh, I think it's really cool. I, I 
love how Captain Marvel looks on the cover here. That's just really cool. I like the color scheme. I think it's a good cover. Uh, interior art. Flipping through here, seeing if I have any any real qualms with it. I really don't. I, I like how it looks. I do think that in a couple instances that burn was actually trying to imitate the kind of like maybe like the native artist of a particular character or team because i noticed that the sequence with ronnie raymond in the shower reminded me a lot of what was going on uh in like uh fury of the firestorm at the time too because his ronnie raymond it's kind of hard to tell because he's got soap all over his face and everything in that one shot, but it really looks like Byrne is kind of aping the art style of that book for, for that particular sequence. And Firestorm looks fantastic. He looks really good. Um, and again, I agree with you guys that the Gar Logan that he's drawing here really is closer to burn uh, excuse me a Perez's style than his own style so I, i'm wondering if he was trying to capture the flavor of well, yeah, the, like, of the books that these characters normally appeared in and, and if that's true i think that's really neat i think that's really cool well yeah like i'm sorry my wife walked in for a second but just like with desad i don't know if you mentioned uh you know because i mentioned earlier that desad looked like a kirby figure if right. you said that before i i apologize <laughs> no no you're but you're right he does and I think Byrne was really good at that. I, I think he was good at capturing kind of the the original look of, of characters and kind of in a subtle kind of way, kind of paying homage to the, the roots of the character, and particularly if they were Kirby creations, I think. Um, you know, we only get just the one shot of Superman in this particular issue, but I love that. You know, that, that shot of the, of the action figures just floating in the air there is just fantastic. It looks so cool. Uh, I like the color scheme in the book. There, really, there's, there's, I have very few qualms with the art. There are, there are a couple though. Um, for all my love of John Byrne and all his, um, you know, master artistry and everything, I still don't think he ever really got a handle on drawing children. Billy is very inconsistent uh, throughout this entire series. It's not as evident in this issue. But later on in the in the series, you see it a bit in this one, especially right at the very end. Because when he first turns to Captain Marvel at the beginning of the story, he looks like he's, you know, 15, 16 years old. But then you see him in these last couple of panels, particularly the very last panel of the book, he looks like he's like five. So he this happens through the whole series where he like ages and de-ages. It's it's just like Byrne didn't have a solid handle on his age, his size, or his overall look. It was not consistent, which is strange because that's not typical of John Byrne. Um, so I, I have to knock a little bit off just for how Billy Batson is inconsistent through the series. And that one splash, you know, the double-page splash of the Justice League. Now, granted, part of it is probably due to the fact that this is my least favorite incarnation of the Justice League, but that's not a particularly um, a particularly great piece either. But I, you know, I think a lot of it just has to do with who it is. I, I can't stand Vibe, especially that stupid look he had. Uh, I like Vixen, but I don't like this look for Vixen. Um, and never cared for Gypsy. Really, the the only characters on that entire page I really like are at the far right. I, I love how Steel looks. 
um, Firestorm and Cosmic Boy. The rest of them just, I don't know, just don't do anything for me. Um, and then the laughing dark side at the end. I don't know how you could really do dark side laughing and not have it look a little weird, but that looks just really weird, like like <laughs> wrong weird somehow. Well, like the teeth look weird. Yeah, it's it's very strange. So you know what it looks like? It looks like uh, Dark Side of Skull Island. <laughs> hey, have you? Do you know what it's like to get dental care on Apocalypse? Come on. Have you seen <laughs> a Parademon? Have you seen the Parademons? I don't know. I, I want to give it an A plus, but I, I think I'm going to go a, an A. I, I think there are a couple minor, but I do think that there are a couple missteps uh, in, a, in a little bit of the art in here. And I'm not sure what that's attributable to. I don't know if it's uh, the you know Byrne is the artist or Kessel is the inker or uh, the colorist or what. But there there's a there are just a couple portions of it that I think could be a little bit tighter, a little bit neater. But overall, I mean, solid in the artwork. I really really like this. And uh, the story, it's hard to to rate it just as the single issue because I am familiar with the story. I know where it's going. I know, you know, how it plays out and everything, but trying to do it just on the surface of, of what it is, I'm going to go a B minus. And that's only because it's now granted it is a chapter of a six part story, but even that said, it's, it's not really a, a full story. You know what I mean? It's not really a full issue. It really does read like what you said, Paul. It reads like a sampler. It reads like, you know, every other couple of pages is like a snippet of, here's what's going on in the DC universe at the moment. So I'm, I, I can't for the life of me think of what those books are that DC has done in recent years that are like that. But you, you know what I'm talking about? Like when they've done well, their big was, reboots. Well, like Countdown like to... 80, uh, Countdown, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. That wasn't really yeah, when a they story. Had, right, when they had the 80-page special, it was just snippets of each. Exactly. Of the upcoming, uh, yeah, the upcoming miniseries, like Ran Than, like the Ran Thanagarian War. And, uh, right. Uh, uh, that's the only one I can remember off the top of my head. But each one had, yeah. like, a section. Yeah, exactly. And that's Salvation really Run, or is that a different... Salvation uh, Run actually was a an offshoot of the series Countdown. That's right. right. Yeah, I know not, what you mean. That there, were, there were there were several of them like that. So yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So you get to the end of this issue, and it's a nice little tease, but was it a story? Not really, because not one of these moments that were touched upon with these characters had an, a, a beginning, a middle, and in an end or any sort of conclusion, everybody's still just left hanging and not one of them really did anything more than just tease you about that particular character or that particular facet. I don't know if that's necessarily a fair criticism, um, but I do think that it is a, an accurate assessment of the issue itself. It's, it's all just a big tease without really giving you a story. So as a single issue, um, yeah, I, I think a B minus is where I'd had stick with this. So yeah, I think that averages out to what? A solid A? So yeah, it's a solid A book. I I, I think it's great. But um, that said, I think you have to get, you know, to really get a satisfying, you know, satisfying 
read, you have to read the whole series, which I would highly recommend because it's a damn good series. It's really good. A lot of stuff came out of Legends. Um, you know, not just the Suicide Squad, but, uh, you know, Captain Marvel, at, at least for a time, got a new leash on life. Um, some of the other characters did. And the, the post-crisis version of the Justice League spun directly out of uh, Legends as well. So there you go. All right. Um, when you talk in the first issue of six, I think it becomes difficult on how we rate it. it Professor Allen was on a few weeks ago, and we talked about that. How, how do you rate it when you're talking one part of a multi-issue series? And you don't want to always have to do standalone stories because that just limits us way too much. Right. So a lot of times when I'm doing the first part, my thought is, does this lay the groundwork, and does it make me want to read more? And I'm going to try not to, if I'm familiar with the issues that go beyond it, I'm going to try not to factor them into my opinion. Because if, if it lays the groundwork, but then somebody drops the ball in issue four, that's not fair for me to retroactively hold that against issue one. So I'm, I'm going to talk story first here, which because that's kind of the road I, I travel down. I think this story actually does a fair job of doing that. I think it does lay the groundwork, and it gives you stuff to think about, and it gives you things that are going on, despite the sampler feel, uh, that make you want to read issue two and issue three. And you know that it's a six-issue series going into it. It says it right at the top of the cover. So I think this is a pretty good version of what we're getting here. I do think there was an agenda here. I think they came in saying, you know, we, you got this is what we're going to, you know, we want you to set, up, set all of this up for the audience. And I think it does it fairly well. I don't think any character is unaccessible in it or inaccessible. I don't think any storyline is too hard to figure out what's going on. I think there's action. So from a story point of view, I'm going to say a solid B. I, I have no problem with this as, at all as issue one of six. The only thing that I would say is maybe instead of issue one of six, it should be prologue because it's just kind of setting up. Mm. But that's why it's a six-issue miniseries and not a four-issue miniseries, which was more common at that time. I think they went six issues right off the bat because they knew they wanted to let it develop and they knew they had a lot to do in it. So I'm, I'm going to say solid B on the story. I think it, 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 it does the trick as far as I'm concerned. The cover, I like the cover a lot. I don't think I'm quite as high on it as you are, Scott. I, it, it's, it's really good. I think there's a little bit too much empty space in it for me. Heroes are, are drawn, and the villains for that matter, except for Darkseid. They're, they're all drawn a little small. I think, I think he could have upped the scale on it a little bit and, and had a little bit less empty space. Now, I could be wrong. That could have made it look too busy. But I think, I think you know, I, I would like to see each of the heroes just slightly bigger than they are and just a little bit less empty space in it. I do like the color scheme, as you said, and I like the way each character is drawn. I do see an inconsistency that doesn't bother me. But the way everyone is drawn on the cover is pretty consistent, except for Darkseid, and he's drawn totally different than everybody else. His face, the, the, the way it's shadowed and inked and everything, is just very, very strong contrast to everything else on the page. But again, I don't really have a problem with that. I think it, it just kind of is very stark, is all that I'm just pointing out. I would say I would give the cover a, a solid B+, plus with almost wanting to go into the A category for me. Interior art. I'm going to give the same B+. Plus. I think it's really, really good. It's beautiful. I hadn't noticed the Billy Batson 
thing until you pointed it out. And when you did, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's there. And, and I, I kind of missed that. I, I dropped the ball on that one. Uh, this, this reminds me, you know, just because we talked about Terry Austin, if Terry Austin inked this, this reminds me of Burns X-Men as far as how it's drawn. And, and I have no complaints, absolutely zero complaints about Burns X-Men. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say an A minus only because of very minor criticisms. Uh, like I said, John John's being just a little too big on the splash page. You know what you pointed out with Billy Batson. I, I some of the panels have a little bit of a blank background in them where they could have had a little bit more detail, and I, that's probably Ketchel. But overall, I thought this was really solid. So I'll say an A minus on that. And overall, I'll give the book a B plus. Before you go, Bill, I just wanted to point out, uh, I looked it up, and I was right. Vibe's name was Paco, so I just what? wanted to point that out because I didn't want somebody thinking I was, you know, what was his last trying name? to be funny. Or, you, it, it was Ramon, so according to Wikipedia, and I, I cross-checked it with a couple of other sources as well, is that um, he also went by uh, Francisco Cisco Ramon. Now, that when I read that, that kind of triggered a memory that I want to say, I could be dead wrong about this, but it, it, like I say, it's kind of tickling my memory that I think that maybe there was a backlash about this character. You know, that, that maybe there was, you know, racist wasn't the, the, the thrown around term back in these days like it is today. You know, you, you do the least little offense and you know, everybody's quick to slap you with that racist label. But back then, it wasn't. It didn't quite work like that. But I, I think that there were, you know, for lack of a better term, I think there were racist accusations uh, about. I don't know if it was the the character or the the writer or something. And I think that they did try to kind of um, tone it down a little bit. You know what I mean? And mm. so I want to say that maybe he went to the Cisco name in response to that. I, I, I can't, I know I just read about this not long ago and I wish I could remember more of the details, but anyway, I, like I say, I, I just somewhere in my memory, I could remember a, a panel of a team member and I want to say it was steel calling him Paco. And I didn't think he was doing it like, again, you know, being racist or anything, I thought that was his name, or at least that was the impression I was left with as a kid, was that that was the, you know, his real name. So, like I say, I looked it up, and yeah, that was his name. It was Paco Ramon. Um, Wikipedia says Vibe, real name Paco Ramon or Francisco Cisco Ramon. So I think eventually he adopted the, the Cisco name, and maybe they dropped the Paco, but when he first debuted, that, that was his name. All right, that's... I, I, I apologize if I tried to come off as a vibe expert of any sort. <laughs> no, no, no. I, like I said, I, I'm not an expert on the character by any means whatsoever. I just wanted to make it very clear that I wasn't trying to say something racist about the character. I just, I genuinely thought I remembered that that was his name, and and I was right. So that's all. I'm, that's all I'm trying to say about that. I didn't. I didn't want. I don't want to get letters. You know what I'm saying? I do. I wanted to tell them how much they love us. <laughs> Those letters I don't mind. Ah, <laughs> uh, but I I just noticed on the on the last page. How does that one person know what a burned skunk smells like? You don't. I've never burned a That's skunk. That's what happens when they leave it on the grill too long. Oh, <laughs> yuck! That's gross. 
So, um, cover. Yeah, the you had said earlier that it looks painted, and I guess it does in some aspects, especially Darkseid's head. You know, kind of like might have some strokes there, and but definitely the background, that purple color looks yeah. looks like it's like almost like a watercolorish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any beef with the size of the figures. I think they're fine. Um, actually, I guess, well, I guess in reality, Mac Vermey Man was a little bit bigger when he was fighting uh, Shazam than he is here. So, I mean, yeah, but, but you know, they're, you know, Darkseid is just showing off his action figure collection, so they can be whatever yeah. size they need to be. <laughs> See, right, look though. at my figures. See? I get, I get the rare cosmic boy. Hey, you're right. Macroman and and uh, Brimstone actually should probably be about the same size, but yeah, that might just look weird. I, I think he's just taking some artistic license, but right. I see what Paul's saying though that there is a lot of emptiness, particularly on the uh, you know the the right side of Darkseid as we're looking at Darkseid on on the right, right underneath the uh, the price. Uh, on the cover and everything, that, that there is a lot of wasted space right there. But still, yeah, I, but I, think I think it's just meant I to represent that, him. You know, these are his pawns, and right, you know, that and he's yeah. because they're in the forefront. He's holding them out, and they kind of balance each other, right, from side to side with the amount of figure. I mean, not excuse me, not the amount of people, but kind of in the space they take up. If you count the flames coming off a of brimstone, although the flash is a little kind of dangling in the middle there. But then again, Brimstone's hand comes across the center of Darkseid as well. So it, I, I think it kind of balances it out. I don't really see it having too much. I know Paul doesn't like large swaths of e empty space, um, but usually that's when it's one solid color that sticks out a lot more. I, I, I have no problem with it here. So I'm, I'm going to give the cover for myself an, an A+. And like we mentioned before, with the, with the aping of certain styles is pretty cool. Uh, and like you had mentioned, yeah, Byrne does sometimes have a hard time with kids, with judging their ages correctly from panel to panel, it seems. Um, I kind of like the the middle splash, with the exception, well, I guess Martian Manhunter may be a little bit big there. Um, Firestorm looks like he needs to use the restroom, I think. He's grimacing. Ugh. But he'll just turn whatever he drops into, like, flour or something. Well, he just got stomped but good earlier in the oh, issue, too. So maybe he's hurt. Stomped maybe he's but like, good. <laughs> maybe he's got busted ribs or something. Uh, yeah. I want my Firestorm ribs. Uh, so I'm going to give the interior art, I give it an A. And the story, it's a good teaser for the what's to come. It gets you, I, I, I think, well... Like you're saying with the Professor Allen theory that, you know, with what is going to come afterward, it's a good opener. So I'm going to give the story an A as well. Uh, give it an all-around A. 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 So it's a Fonzie book. A. Sit on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll wrinkle it. It's like what Dog Side did with his action figure. <laughs> Snap. All right, we're running long, so let's go on to book number two. All right. Book number two, that is me. And you know what? I think I'm going to use the, for brevity's sake, I'm going to use the Mike's Amazing World synopsis because I think it sums up the book pretty good. And it was about what I was going to do. And we'll just go back and touch on things in the book because we God knows that we will spend, if I try to synopsize this, 
We'll be here all night. Well, you're this long just telling us why you're not synopsizing. Shut up! <laughs> Need a thing out of you. <laughs> so anyway, the book chosen by my cohort because of my ADD and whatever issues I have to where I can never pick, you know, or complete Hor a sentence. what? What did I say? I said horrible. Horrible. <laughs> Suicide Squad, number one, from May of 1987. Cover date, that is. On sale February 26, 1987. 75 whopping cents. That's you! And that's nothing to sneeze at, folks. Oh, my but God. But Paul just did. What? <sighs> amateurs. I'm surrounded by freaking amateurs. What? What would you have said? I would have said, Help! <laughs> I thought about muting it. Then I thought, nah, this will be more annoying. I just spit on my microphone. <laughs> amateurs. Is that a euphemism? That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, one for the blooper reel right there. What blooper reel? Let's go right in the episode. Oh. <laughs> synopsis, damn it! <laughs> hold on, I was hold getting on. there. I, I picked a short synopsis for this, so now I could spend the first 20 minutes just not doing anything. I was hey, don't forget him. to change a couple of words so we don't have to pay him, all right? <laughs> hey. No, pay Mike, he means. We love Mike. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that Howard Chaikin did the cover. Oh, very nice. Is well, that the a Chaikin cover? Is it That's really? It says Howard Victor Chaikin. Wow. Huh. I guess I see. Now that you say that. I didn't see that, that, that until be, now. That now would you be say that, I see the name Chaikin down at the bottom. Well, it doesn't oh, yeah. look like it, though, but when I look at Plastique, I, I can see the Chaken, but I don't really see it in any of the other faces, but Plastique, I can see the Chaken in there, yeah. Wow, I never knew that. All these years, I did not know that was a Howard Chaken cover. Yeah, I, I, I think I can... I'm, I'm in the same boat. I can see it now that you've said it. Yeah. I wouldn't have looked at it and picked it out, though. Well, yeah, if you'd asked me who did this cover, I'd have said Luke McDonald did the cover. <laughs> Well, we have a black background, and on it we have four characters on one side. On the right, we have Deadshot, Plastique, uh, Rick Flag. I'm Rick Flag, bitch. Um, what is that? Mind Boggler? Mind Bender, Boggler. Mind Bender. Burglar. 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 Hamana, hamana. Rubble, 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 rubble. That's what I was trying to think. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I'm just thinking, you sure you sure it was shaken and not Ernie Chan? <laughs> just Ernie, Chan. Ernie Chan, that draw Suicide Squad. <laughs> Ernie, Ernie Chan, Chan he was dead by this point, wasn't he? I'm Ernie not Chan sure. draws I, I, I know Sushi we looked squad. it up, I don't, I don't remember when he passed. Ernie Chan only draws Sushi Squad. <laughs> and on the left we have the Enchantress, Kitten Boomerang... The Bronze Tiger, and... Oh, which one is that? Wait, don't tell me! Don't tell me! Uh, Into the K. Is that Katana? No, that's not Katana, isn't, isn't it? it? I thought it was Katana. She's not in this book. Is that Nightshade? I thought it was Katana. I thought it was Katana, too. She's not listed as featured characters in, in the book. Supporting characters? No. I don't, well, yeah, we're talking that? about the cover. Yeah, well, maybe it is Katana, then. But she's not in the book, though. Hmm. Anyway, our, like I said, our cover is Howard Chaikin. Our writer is John Ostrander. Penciler, Luke McDonald. Inker, again, like last issue, Carl Kessel. Uh, you know, I heard he did the Kessel run. No, never mind. 
Letterer Todd Klein and colorist Carl Gafford. And the synopsis, courtesy of Mike's Amazing World, goes like this. President Marlowe of Cor Korak, 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 Kurak, Q-U-R-A-K-A, Korak demonstrates his new group of superpowered villains known as the Jihad. The group attacks a mock airport and kills hundreds of people, much like an 80s action movie. After the demonstrations, the, the Jihad pre prepares to attack an American airport. In Louisiana, Rick Flagg briefs the Suicide Squad, including new members Plastique and Mindboggler. I must point out, that, though, that there was a interlude <laughs> in between here with Vicki Vale and um, another guy as they walked through, and uh, also the parasite was seen in a sale. Saw in, in a sale when suddenly I became a citizen. They were feeding him rats. It was gross. Is, is this really Mike's synopsis? Well, I'm. I, I said I was putting stuff in there. <laughs> I'm kind of stretching it because it's only like five sentences. In Stop Louisiana, stretching it. Read the goddamn. Thing. I, I know Rick's, that's all the email we get. People say, "Please have Bill stretch the synopsis." Rick Flag read. Oh, you're talking about the, the synopsis. Okay, sorry. Including new <laughs> members, Plastique and Mindboggler. Ah, there it is, Mindboggler. They. <laughs> They plan to assault the Mindboggler. I'm still I'm still hearing Hamburglar, though. It's funnier that way. They plan to assault the Jihad's headquarters. As the team prepares to depart, Flag is reunited because it feels so good with Karen Grace, who has been released from the psychiatric hospital. Oh, she's all better now, and is now serving as the team medic. Let's dive into the book, shall we? I thought I was watching a John McTiernan movie. Is it was teaching you how to be an adult? <laughs> it was teaching. Yeah, I was teaching me how to die in an airport. So, so yeah, the jihad. You got Chimera. You got the Jin. Now, didn't the didn't the Jin? I remember that character. Did he fight Firestorm at one point? You know the guy that's he he's like a digital guy. He's all he's been digitized and he's just in like a little box and they pop him out. I know who you mean, Nobody. I'm not sure. I, it sounds like, I would say probably, especially didn't Ostrander write Firestorm it for quite a while? Uh, that's true. Yeah, that probably would be where, where because yeah, I, I know I've read a lot of Firestorm, so I'm thinking that's where he came from. Yeah, he eventually took over. I, I couldn't tell you the issue, but eventually he did take over because for a time he was doing, he had his own little universe within the DC universe because he had Firestorm, Suicide Squad, Checkmate. Did he have Blue Devil? Manhunter. I don't know about Blue Devil. And there was that crossover event, the J Janus Directive, I think it was called. Hmm. That crossed over between like the four or five books that he was working on at the time. Jihad. Well, I don't think we'd see a group like that in comics now. Hmm. I think that was the first time I ever heard that word was was reading this. Because hmm. I can remember when um, when did oh, shit? What was the first Timothy Dalton Bond? License to Kill? No. No. Uh, Living Daylights. Yes. Living. I remember yeah. when Living Daylights came out and they mentioned that word and I knew the word and I think I knew it because of having read this. And knowing is half the battle. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. That, that was Bill's educational moment. Jihad, so we got Jihad is the group, Rustum and Raven. So yeah, Raven. Manticore, <laughs> Jakuli. 
So back to your original question of who the hell is that woman on the cover? I think she's supposed to be nightshade, but she's miscolored. So because of the way they miscolored her, she actually looks like Katana, who, so far as I can tell, never appeared in Suicide Squad. Not only is she not in this issue, I don't think she ever appeared. Because at this point... Prior to this, and she I would, think after Crisis, wasn't she in Batman and the Outsiders? She, yeah, she was one of the Outsiders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, is that Katana in the new movie? Yes, I believe it is. That's why I was thinking it was her. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Let's say this. This is a very disturbing airport scene. Some of the, a lot of the killing in here, because apparently some of the the people that are in here thought they were acting in a movie. That's why I said it's like an '80s action movie. Because I guess for some of these people, they thought it was until uh, they got, uh, you know, cut from the movie, so to speak, right. the hard way. So I there's something about the art, though. I'm not really... I'll, I'll tell you what it is for me. I, I hate it. <laughs> That's oh, <funny>. yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's not, it's, I'm trying to be polite. Like, I, do not like the, same... I do not like the art in this book. Yeah, I don't, I think it's, it, I don't know if it's the, the coloring guy... or is it the art. Is this the same guy that was doing Iron Man in that mm-hmm. that kind of period of decline the, the, the right Rody, after the Rody, uh, era? Yeah, isn't it? It looks like it. It might be. I'll have to look that up because I do, was, I think it is him. You mean when Iron when it, was that when Iron Man was paralyzed in the wheelchair? Yeah. No. no yeah, no. I, th- I thought it was, but because Rody was Iron Man at the time, Tony Stark was in the wheelchair. Rody, who's Rody? No, well, Rudy. Uh, the the period I'm thinking of is is past 150, but before 200. It, it's like after. I, I well, Rhodey took, if... took over as Iron Man, right? And Tony Stark was, you know, he fell into the out, total alcoholic thing. He lost the right. company. Right. Yeah. Dude, how how many times have I had to tell you? Rhodey was the gov was the mayor of New York. Rudy is the guy that played Iron Man. It was Iron Man. Get it right. Eh? Well, he was with Notre Dame for a while. Rodi Giuliani. <laughs> You're a dork. <laughs> That's such a kind word for it. Hey. I'm looking through Firestorm covers, and I'm not seeing this digital dude. He does kind of say, oh, uh, I was right. Uh, what's his name? Does come back. Brimstone. Brimstone does come back. I thought he did. But I'm not seeing the 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 Jin or whatever the hell his name is. I am the Jin. Well, I forgot that Tom Gr- Tom Greinberg worked on later issues of Firestorm too. I like his. Oh my stuff. god, he, he dies. The Jin <laughs> dies. <laughs> Does he? he dies in Suicide Squad too? Yeah. Oh okay. Which was Jin? Well, that was a question I was going to ask you guys: Is do you remember who it is of the Suicide Squad that dies on this mission? Well, they don't die in his comic book, so I think that's kind of false advertising. But, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I was kind of like, nobody died in this. Yeah, I thought that was kind of crap. One of them I won't don't be coming home. That. Well, they didn't come home either. I'm but, thinking yeah. it's going to be the Hamburglar dies because I don't remember her any time later in the DC universe. Yeah, I think she does bite it. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm pretty sure she does. And she, I, I know it's. Oh. I know it's not. Um, Plastique because she goes on to marry Captain Adam at some point, right? Didn't they get married? Hmm. Don't know. I think so. It's not the Enchantress. It's I know not her. Later books. And it's not Captain Boomerang. It's not Captain Boomerang because we saw him die, right? Didn't we see him die in? He died in, in Identity, uh, Crisis, in Identity right? Crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it is Hamburglar then. 
Or maybe it was Gr- Grimace. Grimace. <laughs> Grimace. Yeah. I haven't seen Grimace in a while either. That's that's well that well that's because he had pure French fries pumping through his veins. There's a number of times in this book that I think Amanda Waller looks like Grimace or like she could be played by <laughs> she does not look good in this. Can they not make the guys she that is, are apparently I mean just make in many more racially stereotypes? Why is their skin freaking gray? Look at page eighteen, second panel. It's it's a close up of Amanda Waller's face. And she's saying it's his oh baby. He's like Does that not look like a Guido to you? I mean, totally right there. It really does. That does not look like a large black woman. That looks like like you know like a like a mobster guy, doesn't it? That looks like a cross-dressing mafioso. Which page, <laughs> which page did you say? <laughs> page eighteen, second panel. Oh yeah. How you doing? <laughs> Yeah, you, it you, guys, rock. you guys are going to go to Jotunheim. Capiche? <laughs> Take Amanda Waller. <laughs> Amanda Waller would be played by a large Italian man in a dress. The tactical uh-huh. nuclear strike was considered, hey, what do you mean? But it ain't going to work. You know what I'm saying? You got to go in. You got to do the deed. Don't fuck up. We'll kill you. You know, it's the story's really good. I, I'm surprised rereading this, I'm surprised how much I, I really liked the story. But the art, this that off the top of my head, I think the biggest reason I dropped this book was the art. Because here's the thing: I bought this, um, I either bought it off the stands, or I think this was actually at a time when I had a uh uh it was not a subscription through DC, but it was like a subscription through a, a comic shop who was sending me my issues at the time. Because, let me see, when did this come out, Bill? So this was 87. early, early 87. So, let me think. Had I settled at a base yet? No, I hadn't settled at a base yet. So, yeah, this was mailed to me. I was getting my, my comics mailed to me um, like every month or every like two months or something through whatever service I was using. I want to say it might have been mile high, but I can't remember. But I was using some mail service that would send me just this massive box of comics every month. Because right after Crisis on Infinite Earths, I was buying pretty much every DC that was coming out. And so I bought this for... Bill and I were talking earlier today, and I said the first year, but I think I actually dropped it at, um, after number 10, um, which was had something to do with Batman. And then I came back one more time at like number 13 because it was a crossover with justice league which i was reading at the time as well and then after that i i might drop in a time or two later i know there was way down the line like around like issue like i don't know like 59 or something there was a three-part story that had superman in it uh i remember picking that up too but i was after after the 10th issue i was not a faithful reader anymore and i remember that i liked the series but I wanted to love the series, and I, I just didn't. And I think a lot of that had to do with this art. I just couldn't stand this shitty, just, it just looks so amateurish to me. It, it's, you yeah. know what I mean? It's 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 just like not. I was going to say pedestrian, but. I yeah, think. it's not formed, you know? It, it, it just, it looks hackneyed and rushed, and, and I don't know. It, it's, I, I don't want to be overly harsh to the artist but it just doesn't look up to snuff of i mean dc was putting out some of the 
finest stuff that they would ever produce in this, you know, right in this era. I mean, you, this is, you know, right on the, you know, Burns uh, run on Superman was in full swing. We just had Legends. Perez was doing Wonder Woman, which is some of his best stuff he ever did. Uh, the new Flash series was out. Batman had a new leash on life. You know, there's all, you know, this great stuff that was coming out from DC at this time. And then you've got this book, which, like I say, the stories are good. But the art, you just look at the art and you're like, what is this shit? And I kept waiting for it to get better and it just wouldn't. And so I, I eventually, because of all the, the titles that were coming out, and, you know, that's just from DC. I was also picking up a handful of Marvels at the time, too. Eventually, I just had to pare down. And uh, this was just a book that sadly didn't make the cut, which is a shame because I've since managed to fill in the entire collection with the exception of the very last issue. I'm still chasing number 66. And I intend to sit and read them one day because I have had so many people over the years tell me, you know, that that it's a great series or... More often what happens is this this will come up in conversation I'm like, yeah, I've never read the the you know, beyond like the first couple of issues and like, you never read Suicide Squad? You know, I get that a lot. So I've I've always wanted to read it, but it's this just crappy art that has kept me from doing so all these years. It, it's just well, oh, it's so unprofessional. This is the first uh, the first Suicide Squad issue I've read. I mean and like I, I like the story, but the art is just—it was so—it was very tedious to read last night. I was like, Whoa. yeah, yeah, it's not good. It's really not good. Oh, the other thing too is uh, Boomerang's friggin' dialogue. I hate when—I don't care if it's a Western character, an Australian character, like in this place, an English character, whatever—when they do the accents in the dialogue, I hate that because when they spell the stuff so that yeah. Yeah, and there there were a number of times, I'm trying to find where it is in here, and I'm not finding it, but there were a number of times where the dialogue is supposed to be his accent, but you're losing me because you're, you're, you're writing it phonetically, and it's just, oh, it was just aggravating. I'm like, what the hell is this guy saying? I can't find it, and it's making me nuts, but there was one instance in particular where I had to puzzle over it for a couple minutes, like like what I I do not understand the dialogue here. What the hell is the word that he's saying? Uh, the, the, uh, oh, here it is, right here. All right, it's uh, page fifteen, and they're talking about the the explosive bracelet that's been clipped onto plastique, and she she says, "Why am I the only one that's wearing one?" And Captain Boomerang speaks up and he says, oh, let me, Ms. Waller. And he says, you see, love, it's T to me apostrophe M-Y-K-E. And I'm like, what the hell is this word? To, and I puzzled over. To T-O-M-A-K-E. To make. Yeah, it's it, to make, but it's it's meant to it's be to in make, his, It's to make sure you don't wander to, off. To make. Yeah, and, it, and I get it now, but that, they again, they're spelling it phonetically and I just, my mind doesn't work that way. So I'm looking at this going, what the hell word is T apostrophe M-Y-K-E? That's not a friggin' word. And I couldn't make heads or tails of it for the longest time until I finally realized, oh, no, no, they're speaking, they're giving you his accent in the dialogue, which is just stupid. Let my hey, mind do that for me. Don't write it for, I hate when they do that. You used to do that in like 
the Western kind, like Jonah Hex, for, depending on who the writer was, sometimes hey, they would uh, they would give him his Southern dialogue spelled phonetically. Really, and I hate that shit. You want to really blow your mind? Try speaking Spanish with an Australian accent. <laughs> El Pedro es Negro. De Rije Mexicano. Porto Saloon notes. Me on Lois Guillermo. Or, you know, it's like, you remember Rogue in X-Men? When she'd mm. say Sugar, but it would be mm. S-U-G-A-H. <laughs> I don't know, is it just me or did that make you nuts? Because I used, God, I used to hate that. I'm like, why? It made me think of the Archie Sugar. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Actually, to be honest with you, with Rogue, I thought it was kind of sexy. But that's because I'm a sexist pig. So. I never thought Rogue was sexy under any circumstances. What? No. Oh, oh, no, no. What? No, no there was a time. Because mm. you know time. what? Because they introduced her, she looked like a man. Oh, not when yeah. they introduced her. And then it was not too late. It was too late. There was memory <laughs> burn there. It was like Austin. It was like she had a sex change operation to become a woman. I think Around the time that she was having, when she was in the Savage Land, having mm. the, the romantic affair with the Magneto clone, they, who, I, who was it when it was Wait, drawing her? was with Magneto then. But he was a clone, though, wasn't he? Send in the clones. I, I think I think he was revealed to be a clone. Hmm. You mean Joseph? Was that his name? Yeah, the the guy that came back that had no memory that looked like Magneto. Maybe? I thought she was actually in the Savage Land with Magneto at one point. I don't. Wasn't that in the Magneto Rex this series? That's why I don't read X-Men. But no, I, you know, I, I remember that. I don't remember who the artist was, but I remember for a time she was drawn very attractive in that series. Uh, that was when she had the, like the the skin tight, pockety outfit and all that, and the jacket and all. She actually well, maybe that was well maybe yeah. after she absorbed some of uh, Carol Danvers, you know, she got a little uh, you know. Do we have any Australian listeners? Andy Leyland. I, <laughs> I want to know what. A, I want, to, I want to know what a bike is. Because in the one a part bike. where... Yeah, and uh, it's the next to last... In the next to last page, Hamburglar makes uh, Captain Boomerang see oh, yeah. the thing yeah, where... Yeah, bloody bike! Yeah, and in the next page, the last page, he says, you bloody bike? What the, is that like a dike? Maybe? I, I mean, could they not say dike? So he says bike instead? That'd be stupid. Maybe, well, maybe it's dike and bitch put together. I'm, maybe. I'll give you that. Now, I don't want to seem insensitive or anything, but have you ever seen one of those those um, what would be the, the um, those deformed people that they're like their arms are way too short? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, does, does not the Bronx does the Bronx Tiger not look like there's something wrong with his arm in that third panel on the last page where he's reaching up and catching the boomerang? He looks like one of those short-arm people. <laughs> I'm not sure there is a name for that particular condition. You know what short I'm talking about? Yes. No reason. Short-arm short people, people have no reason to short live. Short-arm people have no reason to live. Yes, they Bronze do. Tiger's got no reason to live. He's got tiny little heads, tiny little arms. Did Bronze Tiger ever beat his ass? Because I really wanted to see that in this issue. Don't want no bronze tiger around. <laughs> Is he still around or did he get killed? I can't remember. He, he couldn't. Uh, I don't know. He was an awesome character to have in uh, Hero Clicks. His arms were too short. He couldn't make it. 
I'm just no, no, glad no. they dropped a stupid tiger head because he is a cool character, but originally he had that that tiger Ooh, head. Bronze, that, hey, Bron Bronze Tiger was an Arrow this season too, if I remember correctly. Was he not, or was that an older season? You remember? Are you Paul? asking me that question about? No, Arrow? I wasn't asking you. Okay. Did say that again? Bronze Tiger was in an. I, he was in Arrow. I don't know if it was this season or not. Oh, I don't even remember. Oh, he had I was, him, looking, I was looking up the Aussie slang dictionary. Oh, <laughs> and it's got. Uh, where is it? I lost it. You want a surprise to energize it? It doesn't have bike. It has bikey. B i k k i e. And one of the things is one of the definitions it gives is not very intelligent. Huh. She's calling her a dumbass, essentially. I think, yeah, possibly. I can't even can't even go as far as saying that, but. No, that doesn't you, really... you, wear, you wear a hat like that, you can't call anybody stupid. I'm sorry. That doesn't really hat. jibe with what's going on here, though. Because what's up she... with the hair? Her hair? Oh, him. The Ooh, Captain Boomerang? He looks like the biggest jerk idiot. Like, why would... He's just so he not like, threatening. He looks like a short order cook with that hat. He should be cooking me fries or something. <laughs> he, like, he works at Johnny Rockets. <laughs> All right, got your French fries coming up. Yeah, let me throw he them to you. Oh, fuck the hell, it's right back in my face. Look at the, the way the hat is drawn on the cover by Chaykin. Now, I'm yeah. not crazy about the hat to begin with, but if you're going to draw the hat, that's the way to do it. It looks like a military, what we would call, and I'm sure you, you might have had him in the Air Force, possibly. What? Are you laughing because you know what I'm going to call it, right? <laughs> it's called a piss cutter. No, no. I was... <laughs> uh, that, was, that was what... An officer and the chiefs would have a certain hat like that. And it was called a piss cutter. Uh, that's no, I'm laughing because on the fourth to last panel of the entire book, Captain Boomerang looks like Jimmy Page with a reverse mohawk wearing a, a one of those one of those hats you'd, you'd see him wearing. You know, the short order cook at like Steak and Shake wearing or something. It looks like yeah, he'd, it, he'd need some some like pins to keep it on his head. Otherwise, he every time he a step, it would fall off. Right. He, he, you know what? He looks like Bozo the Clown with no makeup. <laughs> He's wearing a stupid outfit. He, he looks terrible. He's so... <laughs> <He's just ridiculous. laughs> well, he's he's supposed to be filling that, like, that Hawkeye role, you know, of the, you know, the team agitator, you know, the, the, the asshole who's always got to just keep everybody all at, at each other's throats and everything all the time. And well, Bullseye would do better in, than, than in this that. particular instance, he, it, it just worked against the character because rather than making him endearing to, you, he just came to hate the guy. Yeah. So I, I page, like him. Page 17 of all the headshots, the one of Jakuli. It's nice to see that Sonny Lindham found work. <laughs> oh yeah. After Predator. And, uh, 40, <laughs> We're going to go out on a mission. We're not going to like it. Mm. Well, the guy on the very top panel and the guy in the next to last panel on page 17 look like the same damn guy. Just with a different with, facial hair. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, uh, look, it's Arab Doctor Strange on the next to last panel there. Yeah. And then um, Chimera looks like she just stepped off of the page of uh, Mortal Kombat. G.I. Joe. <laughs> Finish her. Yeah, I do. I, I do not care for the art. I really do not. And Chimera's, or was it Man Manticore's? Just I don't know, ridiculous. Wasn't he an emergency? Manticore? No, that was Mantooth. Randolph Mantooth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, what do we got for grades on this one? <sighs> hey, Doctor Bill, you you bring it, baby. Oof. 
Well, I like the cover. <laughs> it's a nice Howard Chaykin cover with headshots. Although it's misleading because nobody dies in this issue. So I got to mark it down a grade just for that. Um, I'm going to give it a B minus for the cover. Uh, the interior art. Ugh. F. Oh, no, I'm not going to give it an F. I was going to give it an F for fried rat that the parasite kills. But, um, D plus, C minus on the art for me. And, but the story, the story is the only thing that kept me reading. It wasn't the art. I was not, I didn't, I wasn't concerned with what the next panel was going to be because I didn't think it could get any better and I was hoping it wasn't going to get any worse. And then, um, so the story and the setup, um, I'm going to give it a B plus. So I guess we come out to a hmm, C plus B minus book overall for me. Okay. Let's say, what do you? Let me go next. Sure, go ahead. All right. I do like the cover. I'm not nuts about the cover. And I'm going to have to seriously take off some points now that I realize. I, I guess it never occurred to me before. But, yeah, uh, Katana, totally not in the issue. And that is her on the cover. Despite whatever their intentions might have been, that's Katana. And, uh, yeah. And then Bronze Tiger doesn't even wear the tiger head anymore, so why the hell do they draw that on there? And Captain Boomerang just looks bizarre. Well, he so looks good on, on the, the right... cover that he does inside. Yeah. Everybody on the right-hand side looks fine, but it's the ones, the bottom three on the, on the left-hand side just, yeah, not right. So, I don't know. I'm going to say a middle-of-the-road C on the cover. I, I don't love it, but I don't hate it either. It's, it's just kind of there. Um, and talk about your negative space. I mean, it's, it's a totally black cover on there. Um, interior art, straight F. It's shit. I really don't like it. There's a lot of panels where I'm like, what the hell am I looking at? And, uh, yeah, it's it's abysmal. I, I can't believe they went to press with this. It's just, it's awful. And, you know, here's with one of my favorite comic book inkers having done the inks on here. So I can only say that I think that uh kessel he you know he he inked in what was there and it just really just accentuated the fact that this guy's art chops you know mcdonald's art chops just were not there for this issue i'm sorry but yeah i do not like it top to bottom don't like it i'm, I'm thumbing back through trying to find one panel i can say something nice about and i can't find one not one i, ju I just think it's abysmal top to bottom so, yeah, straight up F on the artwork. I think it's bad. And the coloring does not help either. The coloring just, it's wrong for the tone of the book. Um, but the saving grace on this one, as you said, Bill, uh, the story. I think the story is fantastic. I think John Ostrander is an extremely underrated uh, comic book writer. Uh, a lot of his latter-day stuff that I've read, I've really enjoyed. Um, he did a couple of more adults oriented uh miniseries for marvel and his run on star wars for dark horse damn good stuff i mean really really good stuff so you know retroactively that's made me want to go back and read more of his early you know earlier stuff like suicide squad uh, just because i really have an affinity for his writing and i have read the entire run of uh, of Fury of Firestorm, uh, and he took over more or less about midway through. Firestorm ran a hundred and something issues, and he took over around issue I don't know like forty seven or something like that. 
Um, and that's really good stuff too. He he took a character that was kind of starting to to wane and uh, and just did some new and interesting things with him. So again, it's made me curious to to check out um, some of the other Ostrander verse stuff that he was doing at the same time. Uh, I've read a little bit of Checkmate. It's it's interesting. Um, and then Manhunter was pretty decent. I, I read a few issues of that as well. So yeah, I, I really like him. And, uh, you know, this is off to an interesting start to a point where I actually do want to keep reading and, and see, you know, where it goes, um, not only beyond this issue, but beyond the original 10 that I read. Because I don't, I really don't remember it very well at all. I remember not long after this, um, they went on a mission with the Penguin into Russia. And I remember they had a crossover with the Justice League. And that's about it. That's about all I can remember. And I know that, uh, you know, some other interesting stories happen and some other interesting uh um characters and and supervillains uh were on the team from time to time you know filling out the roster so you know i'd be I'm, i am curious to, to eventually read all of it so anyway uh story-wise what did i say i don't know if i gave it a, i'm gonna say i'm gonna say an a i really did like the story so uh, unfortunately, with the with the eh cover and the abysmal art, it it really drags the book down from a from a really good story to an overall grade. I'm gonna say, uh, I'm gonna say C. I'm gonna say it's a it's a middle of the road. Unfortunately, with that uh, with the terrible art. So yeah, but that said, I mean, if you can get past the art, story's good. It's just that the art's shit. And it's funny that, you know, we, we've had this conversation before where you've said that you're, you know, you're an art first guy. Yeah. And if the art is bad, you have a tough time reading it. Yep. And yet you think more highly of this story than I do. And the reason that I don't think it's highly of it is because the art is such shit. It made it hard to read. So I, I think we kind of reversed roles a little bit in that you, you know, you, you were giving the story more of a chance despite the art, whereas the art was keeping me from even enjoying the story. And I feel like I'm a little unfair on my opinions on the story because the art soured me so much. Right. If that makes sense. I kind of like the cover, despite, you know, I, I hate when this happens, <laughs> that I make a point of saying something. And then in the same episode, the opposite happens. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, well, you know, I, what I said before doesn't apply to this. Because the empty space that bothered me a little bit on the burn issue doesn't bother me as much on this issue. And I think the reasoning is I was trying to differentiate on the burn issue, whether it was an, a B plus or an A. And now I'm going to get more picky on it. Whereas on this one, I'm trying to decide if the cover is a C or a B. And I feel a little bit more forgiving because the standard doesn't have to be as high. Does that kind of make sense? I guess not. <laughs> In my mind, it does. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, you know, the, the, when when you when I want to grade something as an A, in my opinion, it has to be near perfect. Whereas to get to a B level, it doesn't have to be quite you know quite as strong, for for reasons you know one's a higher grade than the other. So in this instance, I'm going to say a B minus on the cover. I think you know it's it's I'm going to give it better than average with an average being a C. So I'm going to say a B minus. And I think it's it's okay. I don't think the particular people look all that bad. And I think I've been one of the biggest shaken detractors. And yet 
this one doesn't bother me that much. And it might be that the cover is, I'm, I'm being more, excuse me, more generous on the cover because the interior art is so bad that in comparison it makes the cover look good. And you, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit, Scott, because I had the same exact thought that you did, that I, I paged through this issue after it was, I was done just looking for one sequence or one panel that I could say, that's one that's good, and I couldn't find any. So, yeah. so I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm just with you with a straight-up F on the art. I, I don't like it at all. It made an otherwise decent story difficult for me to read, very difficult for me to read. So F for the, F for the art, B- minus for the cover, B for the story. So overall, the, book's gonna, the, the art is dragging the book down to a C- still. And that's my review. Do we have time for a third book? Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh was my that gosh. a yes or a I no? Realize, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I didn't realize it was almost 11. I get a... Shoot. Well, I'm dying to talk about this last. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right do it. Go, do it. All right, so... Do it. Do it now. Do it. You can do it. I have Suicide Squad number one from November of 2001, which has a cover by Pablo Medina that shows the squad of five dudes running towards the reader in a war zone with a large silhouette of, uh, what's this guy named? guy's name? Bulldozer in the background. And the Suicide Squad in this issue is made up of Major Disaster, Clue Master, Clock King, Multi Man, and Big Sir. The story Big is titled. Dur. Hmm? Big Dur. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> The story is titled Almost a Good Idea, and it's written by Keith Giffen, penciled by Paco Medina, inked by Joe Sanchez, lettered by Bill Oakley, colored by John Caliz, and other people did other stuff. Book opens up with a video feed of the various members on a mission with Bulldozer, uh, and I'm not really familiar with Bulldozer, but I got the impression he's the DC version of Dum Dum Dugan. He's watching from a wheelchair, and the squad is bickering as... Uh, there's, as Bulldoze is speaking to an un- unseen person and arguing about whether this or not the squad is a good idea. And then we have a flashback to Major Disaster being recruited, then Clock King cut back to the squad on the mission, and Major Di- Disaster announces that he's in charge because he was in charge when they were known as the Injustice League. Bulldozer announces through their comlink that he's in charge. The mission involves stopping Icelandic terrorists, and we get some Keith Giffen, you know, kind of amusing dialogue. And as they surveil the base, they see that there are three dead guards on, on at the base. We go back to the recruiting flashbacks of Clue Master, and then back to the mission again. The squad finds a clipboard with Foresight Foundation written on it. This obviously means something to them, but a quick Google search by me yielded nothing, so it means absolutely nothing to me. Uh, they move forward. They move towards the, uh, the building and sense something is amiss. And as they discuss this, a small boy comes towards them, stating that he's a popper. P-O-P-P-E-R. Big Sir, who is apparently none too bright, talks to him, and the child explodes, killing Big Sir. The kid then emerges from the explosion and is quickly put down by Clock King with a sedative. Moving on, the crew moves into the facility where they find dead soldiers riddled with bullets and are confronted by a plethora of young boys announcing that they are also poppers. Multi-Man announces that he has a new power, which is apparently his thing, and he shrinks the poppers small enough so that their explosions are inconsequential. This is followed by them 
then being face to face with this old dude and a giant amorphous she-beast who believes that she's married to the man who she's with. She's apparently a clone of something gone awry and produces those pauper children. Major Disaster tells Multiman to shrink the new poppers, but he takes a death shot to the head before he can. This is followed by a barrage of gunshots taking out Clock King. Cluemaster saves Major Disaster, and as Major Disaster is contemplating all of that, Cluemaster is also shot down. Major Disaster triggers an earthquake that takes out the threat. Cut back seven weeks to Bulldozer being recruited at a bar to run the squad by General Frank Rock. And that's the end of this issue. I gotta say, I didn't really care for this. It didn't really do anything for me. I get the feeling we may have a disagreement because you seem to really want to discuss this, Scott, so I'm thinking you might have liked it. <laughs> nope. Oh, okay. That, is that uh, Sergeant Rock? I believe it is, but then I'm like looking into it. You can't go from Sergeant to General. That's not in the ranking. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you could cross over and become an officer. Yeah. You know... And they did that with uh, with Fury. He went from being Sergeant Fury to Colonel Fury. Yeah, yeah, wait a minute. Doesn't make any damn sense. Oh, sorry. Well, you could go the steps. I mean, I don't even want to start getting into it. But, yeah, you know, they, this, yeah, This, this is can, many years after what? World War II. Let's just put it that way. There was a chief that became an ensign on my boat. So, yeah, yeah, you can. So uh, I thought Rock was supposed to have died on the last day of the war. Well, there, there are some different stories about who this is and whether this is alternate reality or whether he's own or whether, you know, what's going on. So I, I don't know if they've ever landed on exactly what happens to Sergeant Rock after the war. But just overall, um, I, I think this issue wanted to go with a Dirty Dozen feel, and it fails a lot in that. I, I didn't think the writing brought it up to that level. I didn't think the artwork was good at all, and it just, you know, it, it just didn't really do anything for me. I, I read through this thing. I had to read it twice because it just kind of lost my interest as I was reading it, and I was like, now what, what the hell happened there? So I swear this artist has done has has worked on the X Men. I, I swear I've seen his art before. I think yeah, you're probably yeah, right. I, this this is this is probably the weakest written Keith Giffen book I've ever read. So. You know, I don't want to give my grades on it yet, but I didn't like this. Scott, you, you seemed to be chomping at the bit, and I'm even happier to know we agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny, the, the whole reason I wanted to talk about this was uh, because I wanted to shore up what you were saying about the prior book that we just talked about. You know, you talked about having a tough time getting through a book because of the art. I couldn't get through this because of the art. I make no bones about it. I cannot stand Medina's art. I've, every time this guy popped up, you know, the 90s gets such a bad rap. I would say that there are periods of the early 2000s that are worse than the worst of the 90s. And, you know, case in point, wherever this guy would pop up, you know, I could be absolutely in love with the title, with the with the story that was going on, with the writer that was working on it. And every time this guy would pop up, I was just like, shit, because I can't stand his. It's just awful. I can't what stand the, the way he draws people's I, eyes. Yeah, it's just it, I don't know. What would you call this? Is this a is this a manga style an anime? What the hell is he I, going for? I, I always yeah. thought of this style. I it was, would say it was manga influenced is my always. It's my yeah. Style. I would say it has a touch it's, of that, yeah. 
I mean, you can do, even though I hate that art style, it can be done to where it still appeals to traditional comic, you know, comic readers, like say Ed McGinnis. I'm not crazy about that style, but Ed McGinnis makes it work. I like his stuff. Why this guy, this Medina, can't tone it down or, or you know, smooth it out or whatever it, it would take to make it more traditional comics and make it more palatable to a traditional comic art audience, I don't know. But his style just completely turns me off. People look freakish and bubbly and oh, I, I hate this art style. I just cannot stand it. And what's even more baffling to me is when he made the scene and he was working on like Spider-Man and stuff, I can remember people just being all like, oh, I love this guy. Oh, he's just he's a breath of fresh air. And I'm going, no, this is shit. This is dirty absolutely Yeah, it's terrible. So, yeah, I'm sorry. But, yeah, the entire reason I wanted to talk about this was just simply to say this might have been the greatest story ever written. I could not read it because the art is so abysmal. I, I really can't stand it. I, I can, you know, and obviously this is going to be uh, giving, a, giving a little advanced clue on where I'm rating this thing. But remember the test that we just talked about, looking through it for any panel that redeemed it? Yep. Yeah, I didn't find any in this one either. No, it completely fails. Completely fails. Yeah, I, I feel like a dope now that I didn't realize who that was on the last panel because I looked at that and I saw, you know, it's a big reveal. You turn the page and he, he says uh, Rock of Ages and I'm just like, who the hell? I thought it was Rick Flagg, like just aged badly or something. I didn't know. I Now I feel stupid. I didn't catch the clue. Rock. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sergeant, but Sergeant Rock starts giving rock puns. The way he talks, yeah. that's that's not the way I know the character, and he's being kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna rock your world. <laughs> I mean, just stop, please. Time to rock around the clock. Yeah, I, you know, Keith Giffen should be better than that. Well, it's one of those things. Now, I don't want to rag on Keith Giffen because I like Giffen and everything. And you're right, I have read some decent stories, but. I don't know. I'm probably going to catch hell for saying this. I, I get a little tired of the whole, you know what? I'm not an artist anymore. Now I'm a writer. You know, it, it worked for some people, but more often than not, the transition just don't work. I, I like Keith Giffen as an artist. I don't need Keith Giffen, the, the comics writer, all of a sudden, because generally I don't think he's as good at writing as he is at art. So... I would much rather he had drawn this. Or maybe if he wanted to be both the the writer and the artist, then, then maybe that would have worked. And maybe more of his intended thing would have come through or something or whatever. But by by having this guy do the art, it, just, it didn't do him any favors. I had no interest. I, I, I started reading it. I'm just like, I can't. I, I just can't take it. So, my, my yeah, favorite. I, I thumbed it, but that's all I did. I did not do an in-depth read on this. Plus, I, I could tell what was going to happen right out of the gate just by that very first page showing me who the characters were. I just said to myself, great, this is going to be another one of those stories where they're going to take a bunch of people that are have now been deemed losers and they're just going to waste them you know, arbitrarily, and that's exactly what happens. And I, I, I hate that. I, I really don't like that. I... You know, if you don't like these characters, that's fine that you don't like them. But to take somebody else's creation and just offhandedly do away with them, I, I think that's 
I think that does a disservice to, you know, the other people working in the medium. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? No, I, I, I if you're going to, if you're going to off them, off them with some sort of respect. Right. And, and that didn't happen yet. No, not at all. Not but, at all. But again, uh, and the one character, what's his name, Multi-Man? Apparently yeah. his, his thing is he, being, you know, he gets reincarnated with new powers. So apparently his thing is he dies. <laughs> so, right. you know, they can off him as much as they want. Uh, and then I think the only character that stayed dead, because I was looking into it a little bit, I think the only character that stayed dead was Big Sur. Who seems like a kind of at least as portrayed here, it seems like a nothing character anyway. Yeah, he was crap. But I mean, still, that could be a lack of respect by Giffen as a writer. I don't know. You know, maybe maybe when he appeared previously, he was done you know more respectfully. I can't tell you. Now, did uh, did Major Disaster survive? I'm trying he, to. He survived this issue. I don't know. Okay. I don't know beyond this issue. Yeah, because that would have pissed me off. Because, I mean, not that he was any great character or whatever, but he was uh, he was the big bad in the first one of those uh, Superman Radio Shack adventures. And I always had a real soft spot for that very first one. But, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I made you go through all that just so I could say, I didn't read it. <laughs> well, I mean... Like I said, I, I think they, I think they were going for a Dirty Dozen vibe, and I don't, I don't know how familiar you guys are with, the, with that movie. It's it's one of my favorites. I, I really love that movie. I think it's just fun, uh, even though it's people. It's it's Suicide Squad. It's Suicide Squad during World War II without superpowers. Right. And I think it's a great movie, and I think that's what they were going for here, showing a little bit of the putting the band together, and then showing how you could get killed. In in you know, spoiler alert, anybody who's never seen the Dirty Dozen. Uh, I believe only Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson survived the mission. So, you know, that's that's what happens here. Uh, you know, only the one guy actually survives, at least, you know, until the other ones are somehow made better from being dead. But it's, it's, I think they were going for that feel, and I think they failed. And again, I, I think, you know, I, I don't mind Giffen as a, as a writer. I do prefer him as an artist. My favorite time from him as an artist was very early in his career when he reminded me a lot of John Byrne in his art. Uh, as he started developing more of his own style, I started liking him less. I liked him when he was on The Defenders, and I liked him when he was on Legion of Superheroes. And then I started to wane a little bit in my like. Uh, as a writer, I, you know, I've enjoyed what I've read of the uh, Justice League Wahaha issues that he wrote. I've enjo I enjoyed when he did his little four-issue miniseries on The Defenders. But this one kind of left me cold. I, I didn't find any real positives in this book, to be totally honest with you. And uh, my, my review is going to reflect that, or my rating is going to reflect that ultimately. Anybody have any other comments? Yeah, I kind of didn't read the whole thing either. I'm sensing a lack of it, respect for my book here. No, it just didn't hold my interest. I was like, <laughs> I you okay, usually, all right. Usually you can you can skim through a book without reading it, and you can still catch what's going on. I couldn't tell what the hell was going on. It's just like every time we turn around, somebody's being killed by a little kid. I'm like what the? They were poppers. Well, I got that. I think then it's like a lot of poppers myself. There's just you know hot poppers, but then there's this giant freaking <laughs> what? The, I'm like, what is this big red thing? And then all these little skeleton like like. Like, 
kids from Hellraiser with their skin falling off appear, and I was just like, I. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, Sergeant Rock. I'm not going back and reading this. Fuck this. I'll wait for somebody to synopsize it for me. Because <laughs> I was just like, whoa. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I can't. I honestly can't relate. This, this, this is a bad issue. And I'm, I'm going to just jump right into the review of it or, or my ratings on it because it's just bad. Um, I mean, it was no disrespect to you, Paul. It's just no, kinda... no, I don't, I don't think it as such. I was just joking around. I think the cover is probably the strongest thing on it. And I'm going to give that a C minus. You know, the image of Bulldozer in the back looks decent. Uh, the action sequence, I think it's framed fairly well, and I think the positioning of the characters are good. The actual final rendering of them I could do without. I like the, the helicopter in the background. I don't think it's a terrible, terrible cover, but I'm going to still say below average and say C minus. The interior art, I think, is an out and out F. I, I, and I couldn't find one panel that I liked in this book. I didn't like any of the faces as they're drawn, and most of the proportioning, proportioning on the bodies, I think, is bad. Story, I think, and again, I, I think I saw what Griffin was trying to go for. I think he failed, and I'm going to say a D on the story, and overall I'm going to give the book a D-. minus. Uh, uh, the cover, for me, the best thing on the cover, I guess that's Sergeant Rock or General Rock. No, that's, that's Bulldozer. In the background? I'm pretty sure. No, because look, he's got a sergeant stripe on his shoulder. Oh, you're right. I didn't see the sergeant stripe. That's dumb. because He's not Sergeant Rock anymore. That's, uh, you know what? So I guess it's... <laughs> I should rate it lower. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'm looking at the art of that picture as the best-looking thing on, on the cover, even though it, it drops a hint who's at the end of the thing. Um, but yeah, this whole style. I, I want to say, no, maybe it's Pacheco. Carlos Pacheco. I don't know if Medina did one of the Ultimates, one of the, uh, like, the, did he do the Ult Ultimates 3 series? Because that's the one, the art, I just really don't care for. Uh, I do remember not liking the art, but I can't picture it clearly enough to know. Maybe it was Pacheco. It's in I don't the know. same, the same style. If, if it wasn't him, it was somebody very much like him. Yeah, because 1 and 2 wasn't bad, but when 3 came around, and, and I think there was another one, I was like, whoa, 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 what the, whoa. Back up. Beep, beep, beep. Um, and I don't even think I bought all of those. I Because I, I got like the first few and I was like, yeah, I just lost the interest. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so for the cover. Joe Med Mediera. Oh, okay. Yeah. That. But yeah, yeah, it's the same type of, mm -hmm. same type of thing. Um, yeah, so the grade for the cover, uh, I gave it a... Mm, I'll give it a D plus, and that's only because of Sergeant Rock being on there. Um, because look at the clock. Was it Clock King? Right. Mm -hmm. Look at his foot on the cover. Oh yeah. It's like way out of proportion. It's 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 huge. <laughs> He's got a huge foot. <laughs> um, and then the interior is no better for the art. And like I said, I I did I the the story may, maybe it gets better, but I just couldn't even. I didn't know what was going on, and I didn't care. So I'm just going to give the whole book a D, boarding on, on F for me. Well, God, that leaves me, I guess. To say it's good. Uh, I'm going to make it short and sweet. It's an F right across the board. If you can't even get me to try your book because the art's so friggin' terrible, then, uh, yeah. As Bill says, you're failing! 
And uh, yeah, they completely failed on this one. So yeah, it's an F. All right. <laughs> this is failing. You think about it. This is really a downer. Oh no! Have we lost Paul? Hello? Sorry, I, I was muted and I didn't even realize it. I was given a whole oh. soliloquy there. <laughs> but this is was brilliant. A, somewhat of a downer of an episode, you know. That's like, Aww. all right, we're, we're going on the movie. Yeah, I heard it sucks. Let's review three books. Well, this one that really doesn't have the Suicide Squad in it, that was good. <laughs> the other two with the Suicide Squad, yeah, they suck. <laughs> this is going to turn out to be a very popular episode. I, I can tell now. Oh, I have yeah. a good feeling about this one. Let your hate flow. <laughs> Didn't the Bellamy Brothers sing that? Let your hate flow like a bird on a wing. Oh, you need to sing that song as the emperor now. <laughs> no, no, no. Let your hate flow. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yes, good. God. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the two true site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I don't know if something's wrong here. You didn't burst into song as soon as I said that. I have chicken in my mouth. I was trying to swallow. Oh, that sounds good. You're not recording this, are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Here, let me stuff another piece of chicken in my mouth. Oh, oh, oh. Red flag, bitch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just go out there. Take some of that.